What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome back to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. As always, I'm your host, Clanky Terry. And before we get jumping into, we get started, we get moving into the new episode we have with this week's guest, I do want to encourage you to listen to this podcast on the official Traveling to Consciousness app available on the iOS and Google Play Store. It is so cool to me to have my own app and to be able to organize all of the material that I create into one singular space just for you guys. You're going to have access to articles. You're going to have access to audio tapes. You're going to have access to extra stuff that people don't have just on the normal Spotify or Apple. Now, here's the extra thing is that you have an option to sign up and support me through a $3 a month membership, which gets you some small access, but really the main benefit is supporting the show. And I love the idea of transparency. So I want to let you know that every dollar I make through this platform is going to be reinvested back into the podcast, whether it's getting better equipment, whether it's just funding the overhead that I have right now. I just want to make that clear to you that all money made through that sponsorship will go straight back into the podcast as is most money that I'm creating right now. Anyhow, with that being said, you also have options to sign up for a fifth density conscious monkey membership, which gets you the podcast completely 100% ad free, as well as gets you the YouTube videos. Well, they're technically on YouTube, but they're not showing on YouTube. So you basically get these videos that are not available anywhere else in the entire universe. So you get access to the video, you get access to the, the podcast ad free and there's a couple other things coming down the road, but that's another higher tier option. So I want to leave that out there for you. So hopefully I see you there and hopefully you're listening to this podcast on the official traveling to consciousness platform. And if not, no worries. I still love you. So let's get into the episode with this week's guest. Consciousness, exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. Dude, Anthony, so thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I've, I'm excited as uh, as we mentioned briefly in uh, the pre-show. <laughs> I felt like all my electronics and my computer were slowing down because of my my heightened level of of excitement to get on here. It happens before clients too. It's it, it's amazing. Well, and it's not it's not a phenomenon that our audience hasn't seen before. They mm-hmm. are very well aware that mm-hmm. whenever like the conversation gets crazy and super exciting and talking about weird shit that it just technology, man, it just can't keep up with our human electromagnetic signal. Yeah. Something, something was happening. And I, and I, and the reason I noticed it is because I felt like myself getting triggered, right. Anytime, like, like my impatience comes up, I have a program of impatience sometimes that, that likes to rear its ugly head in those moments. And I was like, where have I felt this before? And I was like, Oh, this has happened every single time that like, I have something important that I'm looking forward to. And then something interrupts that pattern of like, just getting started with it. And so it was interesting to kind of become consciously aware of that. Cause I wasn't aware of it until I was just signing on to, to join you. So. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, the downloads are even starting. They're already starting. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but speaking of downloads, speaking of views, dude, I did some research and I think you're the biggest hypnotist on TikTok. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest. There's a couple of people that probably have a bigger following that have, have 
uh, carve the path before me. Um, okay. One, one, one guy named Zach, uh, I, I can never say his last name, right? Pinsense, I think his last name is. Uh, he was like the first TikTok hypnotist. Um, he rose to fame and, and gained a lot of following from like hypnotizing people on the beach and doing like street hypnosis and things like that, where I, and I'm sure we'll get into it, where I do uh, less entertainment um, sort of work. Um, not that there isn't a place for that, but I, I take a more change work approach, helping people change their beliefs and their, eliminate their fears, self-doubt, et cetera. No, yeah. And I've, I've certainly used and gotten into, let's say, or connected with some of your videos. And they certainly, I can feel energetically that it's it's doing something at an energetic level. But to just stay on that topic for a second, the street hypnosis, I'm assuming it's like when you're referring to when people, they kind of like hit their body in a certain way and then they just go limp. Is that, is that a real thing? It is. So really when, when I refer to street hypnosis, I'm just referring to entertainment style hypnosis out on literally the street or, you know, even stage hypnosis, what you tend to see in uh, street hypnosis that seems very theatrical, uh, is that like what we call an instant or rapid induction, um, where the hypnotist or the practitioner will do the, a certain rapid or shock induction that, that gets the brain into that state of hypnosis very quickly. And one of my big things uh, with what I do and my content is I do like to have some sort of um, neurological background in it to kind of get that conscious buy-in from people to say, hey, this isn't just some woo-woo esoteric thing. There's actually a very real neurological process behind hypnosis and some of these more esoteric modalities that we use. Um, all that to say, when you see someone just quote unquote drop right in one of those like entertainment street hypnosis videos, there is a, a real process happening in the brain where part of your brain, specifically the the prefrontal dorsal lateral dorsal lateral cortex, is all is going offline, right? And so that's when we get this sense of like non volition, and people seemingly are doing things against their will, even though they're still in control the entire time. So, hopefully that that answers your question. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's super interesting. And can you can you bridge that gap real quick of what you mean by they're still doing it for their will? Or uh, sorry, you said they were still in control, but they're kind of just doing it. Is I mean, can you sort that out for me? So the part of the brain that sort of shuts down, I don't want to say shuts down, but is offline during the state of hypnosis is the part that's responsible for our conscious analytical thought, our reasoning, executive functions, et cetera, right? It's that part of us that um, has that sense of volition, right? Meaning that we have a sense of intention and, and control. And so what happens is when you're in hypnosis and that part of you is offline, you get a sense of non-volition. So you're still technically, it, it's it's a weird paradox of the process because you feel like you're not controlling what you do. Let, let's say just the entertainment purpose, you see someone like you know, clucking like a chicken on stage, like doing something funny. That's very real. And they feel like their internal experience will feel like they are just doing it right because of the hypnosis suggestions. But from a neurological standpoint, they are choosing to do it. It's just that sense of volition is turned off. And so what I like to say, and actually this is a, a quote taken from um, someone who I've, I've studied under uh, Anthony Jackwin, he's a hypnotist from the UK. He says that hypnosis is a consensual experience with a sense of non-volition. And that's probably the the most um, succinct way to classify what's what's happening inside that state and inside the process of hypnosis. It's pretty interesting. So it's mm -hmm. it's almost as if they are giving up. Is it almost like this relinquishing of power in a sense? Because I know that there's a human dynamic that is 
like we'd like to be comfortable like comfortable feels fucking good don't get me wrong yeah yeah but is there like a piece of us that wants to exonerate ourselves of the responsibility of what we're doing or is it it's almost kind of more hitting this underlying suggestive patterning that they're just bringing out of them and and they're just saying oh okay like i'm just i'm in this state i'm going to allow this this state and this person to kind of take over my body for this moment mm-hmm. well the 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 key point to start off with is that you cannot be hypnotized against your will i mean you can you can and that's pro- i'm not even I'm not as well researched in the whole, you know, uh, the conspiracy topics of, you know, the CIA using hypnosis and people using like brainwashing and things. So I go based on the premise that you cannot be uh, hypnotized against your will, at least not in the in the manner that we're talking about with street hypnosis or a one on one setting. Right. Like I can't just make someone fall into hypnosis if they're not willing um, and consenting to the process. But as long as someone is willing and saying, hey, yeah, I trust this person. I'm in rapport with this person. I'm willing to be hypnotized and I'm willing to have this person hypnotize me. We can then facilitate because now the conscious mind is like, okay, we have what's called a hypnotic contract. We call it as as hypnotists. And when we once we have that hypnotic con- contract, meaning that that person is willing and able to be hypnotized, their conscious mind says, okay, and that filter goes off and that gives us the foot in the door to do whatever mm. induction we need to do. And on the note of like this sense of non-volition and, and something happening to us, um, that's more a byproduct of the process that happens in street hypnosis when you're seeing those funny, entertaining things happen. The hypnotist wants that sense of non-volition, like they're controlling the person. When I do something with my clients, like change work, um, working on a fear, beliefs, or programs from the past, I want them to be consciously aware. And so there's ways to facilitate the process of hypnosis where someone is still completely aware of what's going on. They still have that conscious analytical filter there um, because I want them to also reasonably and logically assess what's happening. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's it, it's a unique process that has so many subtleties that can be used in, in so many different applications that we've only just scratched the surface as, from like a researcher empirical evidence perspective. I, I believe it, man. I mean, you're talking about reprogramming the subconscious mind, which is something people try to meditate on and takes them sometimes years to get through. I, I think once you kind of get into this feeling of understanding what the subconscious feels like, you can probably get there a little quicker. But I find it also interesting how you're saying you use it in a little bit of a different way. Now, if you were to take, like, say for some reason, the energy of your life pulled you to start putting up videos of like street hypnosis. Would there be like a lot of schooling you'd have to do for that? Or is it pretty much the same thing, just a different intention and direction that you take the person? Exactly. It's the same mechanism. It's the same process. Um, I would say that people who do change work first, who focus on doing the more, you know, I, I'm not a therapist or a professional, but, you know, we classify, I guess, as a, it's not, I don't want, I hesitate to say the word therapeutic as a, as a non-medical professional, but from a change work perspective, right. In, in a, in a non-entertainment setting, um, I would say that people who are trained in that first, in that approach, can instantly go and hypnotize someone on the street to do funny things. I would say it would be much harder for someone who just does street hypnosis and gets people to do funny things on TikTok to then go and help people change and reprogram um, their beliefs and their fears and, and their perspectives. Why do you think that is? Well, because it, it's there's a lot more nuance to walking someone through the reprogramming process as far as like taking someone's beliefs and then 
having the ability to like have these different techniques that you can use to then change that belief at a neurological level, right? So to, to back up for a second, when you're doing street hypnosis, there is what we call like direct suggestion. So when you hypnotize someone to do something funny, you're giving them, you're getting them to hypnosis. So the brain and your subconscious mind are, have a heightened level of suggestibility. And so because that critical mind is offline, the critical faculty that we call it, and that filter is not there, what your brain will just take in suggestion a lot more rapidly and execute on it, right? That sense of non-volition. So if you tell someone to, you know, um, you know, their hand is stuck to their head or they can't move the brain takes that suggestion very literally. Um, but that's a direct suggestion. We don't just do direct suggestion inside the process of reprogramming someone's beliefs. We, we, there's multiple techniques and we'll talk about this as far as like, uh, what we call regression, but what I specifically call memory reconsolidation. Um, and there's a bunch of different techniques and processes inside the state of hypnosis that are far above and beyond just direct suggestion. Yeah. It's super fascinating. And <laughs> We'll for sure get into like regression and yeah. all that stuff. This is a deep topic. I've had my own <laughs> regression and in, in certain ways, maybe not as deep as I sometimes would like, but we'll come back to that. I'm curious. I, I am curious about this because that makes sense, right? You need to almost have like this underlying understanding of what is causing the fear or the feeling of how certain things happen in our lives. And then it manifests this feeling within us that that then we project out onto the world around us sticking with the, I guess we're calling it street hypnosis, but is there a more, uh, let's say professional term that we could use to say like just a direct suggestion? Would that be it? So if we, so you're referencing like a style of hypnosis, that's not change work related. Yeah. Yeah. So like, just, I tell you to do something. What would that be? What would the term for that be? So we use direct suggestion inside um, a process to help someone change. Like some people are so suggestible and so hypnotizable that let's say they've been smoking for 20 years. Uh, you could get them into a state of hypnosis and literally just give them direct suggestions that they're not a smoker anymore and that they've quit and that they've committed to that. And you can do that. You can pound away at that. Um, and a, a small percentage of the population will just instantly quit smoking cold Turkey without any adverse side effects or anything like that. Um, but for the vast majority of people, uh, it takes more than direct suggestion. There's really a, once again, it's a memory consolidation. I mean, we're changing the perceptions and the way the brain fires when it perceives old events. And what I mean by that is, and I know we said we'll get into regression later, but this, this kind of crosses over here is that when you learn a belief or a fear, right, you weren't born with it. And you had, you had to learn it at some point, usually as a child, right? And this, we, we can get into the whole, you know, argument of when the prefrontal cortex fully develops, like when that conscious analytical mind is fully online. Some people say between, you know, zero and 12 or your formative years and, you know, your brain hasn't fully developed. Some research says all the way till 25 and later, obviously. Um, but the key thing to understand is that we weren't born with any of our fears. The only two fears that we have are the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. And those are largely mechanical mechanisms. Um, and obviously because of things going on with our, with our ears and, and internally. And so when we take that approach, what that means is that we can go back to the moment that someone formed a belief or formed a fear and we can reconsolidate the memory and change the brain's perception on it because 
the philosophy here is that every new thing that you experience is filtered through every old thing that you've already experienced. And so my job is to change or help people change their own perspectives of what happened in the past, not just at a conscious level, because sometimes we're not even consciously aware of the, the events or the memories that caused the programs to run in the first place, but at a subconscious neurological level so that you're, you're, you physiologically can't even execute on the same emotion or the same program in the same way because we've literally changed it um, from a brain-based perspective. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Mushy Love. Mushy Love is a latte type blendable mushroom caffeine free elixir that honestly tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll and i know that you're going to find that on their website but it's honestly true it's stacked with more than twice the amount of mushrooms as any other mushroom latte and i know that there's one in particular that we all think about which kind of starts with the word mud but this one blows that one out of the water i highly highly recommend if you even try that one to just give this one a shot and i promise you that you will not you will not be sorry because i just uh it's so good it's honestly so good and i want to get to a place where i can actually just they send me these all the time for free so please go and buy it because if you buy more then they'll start sending me more and it's just honestly a win-win because it tastes amazing like even in water so even if you're cutting even if you don't want to like put milk in or coffee with it you can just do it plain in water and it's so freaking good guys go click the sponsors link below scroll down to mushy love buy your pack today remember promo code clayton promo code i can't even talk right now promo code clayton at checkout for 10 percent off your purchase mushy love mushrooms shouldn't have to taste like mud give yourself some mushy love yeah it's really really something we'll, we'll for sure get into the subconscious aspect of it i do want to stay on the direct suggestion we're going to call it for now because <laughs> where I was kind of trying to take this or going to ask a question and you partially answered it was kind of like the duration that this direct suggestion can actually be present for, right? You were saying that some people super suggestive, you can just say, Hey, you know, stop smoking and they'll stop smoking forever. So they essentially are so suggestible that it lasts forever. And where my entrepreneurial uh, <laughs> creative mindset went is, would you be able to just command somebody to make a million dollar company or a billion dollar company? And then they literally would just f like figure out all the steps to do that. Is that like a possibility? I think to an extent, it depends on their programming to begin with. Okay. Because if they don't have the right beliefs and they have you know, significant fear, whether it's fear of judgment or they have beliefs about money that are not aligned with being successful, the direct suggestion is most likely not going to be enough without also reprogramming the underlying beliefs. But if someone already has the beliefs, like already has unlimited self-belief and things like that, and they're just not doing what they need to do, even though they kind of have the program that aligns with success, then absolutely. You could hypnotize someone and be like, you're going to make $10 million next year. And I genuinely believe that it would happen. But I also think that's like, you know, the stars need to align and you got to have the right person at the right time and um, someone who's what we call at threshold. So the reason that we can very often help someone quit smoking with just direct suggestion is because they're at threshold, meaning they have to quit. They want to quit. It has to be them and it has to be right now. And so whenever we experience the most rapid change, 
whether it's in our own personal lives or when we're facilitating as a coach or a hypnotist, it's when someone is at threshold or when we're at threshold where like it's, it's the here and now, and there's no other way other than, than to change. So yes, I, to answer your question, I do think that we can hypnotize someone, um, to be, you know, more effective in their, in their business. I've worked with plenty of, um, professional athletes who I literally will give direct suggestions that they're going to perform better and then they perform better. Um, so, but there's, 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 there's caps on it either way. Right. And, and I do think that there's some underlying processes at, at play other than just saying, Hey, cause it, when you think about it, if we were, if we were able to do that, right. Everybody would be like hyper success. Like there would just be, you know, deck of You'd be a trillionaire. all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Trillionaire at this point. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also interesting how you describe that of kind of at the threshold when you're, when you're mm-hmm. talking about the threshold, it was, it was giving me this picture or the analogy of how pressure makes diamonds. And is it, almost it's almost like so much pressure has mounted up in this one direction of someone's life and our example it would be smoking someone has smoked so much that they just literally have to do it or else they're you know whatever cancer something Mm -hmm. something crazy something bad so how is there a way almost to even induce artificial pressure onto somebody like like I'm honestly, I guess I'm sitting here trying to engineer how to create like this yeah. perfect hypnotic state. So could you even just hypnotize somebody into that pressure state of, yeah, if you don't make, you know, $10 million next year, like you're screwed. Someone in your family is going to die. And then you capitalize on that hypnotic state to then hypnotize them. I feel like I'm doing a hypnotic inception right here. <laughs> <laughs> But then hypnotize them in that state and be like, okay, now you're going to make a million dollars. And they, but well, there's a couple questions there, but let's just start off with, is that, is that like a possible or how do you see that? So I think that it is possible because if we look at what our brain, our subconscious mind like is designed to do from a very basic standpoint, right? I'm not, I'm not getting into the spiritual things yet and more esoteric, but from a very basic survival standpoint, all our programming are what is designed to move us away from pain and towards pleasure. Like that's it, right? That's survival. We want to move away from things that are dangerous and painful and towards things that are going to keep us safe and protected. And this is, this could be anything from, you know, legitimate danger, right? Legitimate that's going to hurt us physically. And this could also be just moving us away from things that we perceive as embarrassing or those moments of, of shame and guilt and, and emotional uh, discomfort. And so if we, if we look at it that way, that means that we can amplify the pain, right? Because if we look at threshold as the pain being so great that there's nowhere else to go but up and to change, then the question is really how do we amplify the pain in a hypnotic state so that the brain wants so badly to move us away from that, that it will automatically produce the thoughts, the feelings, and the actions to do that. And so a simple way to do this is a lot of people talk about, you know, mental rehearsal and, and, um, visualization, visualization rather. And I, I rely heavily on that in my process is like, okay, let's put you in the problem. Let's put you like five years from now where like you haven't lost the weight where you didn't quit smoking or you are still broke. Right. And I really leverage regret. Like I always want to leverage the feeling because that's what the body wants to get away from. It wants to get away from that, that stress and that anxiety and and the emotional pain. Right. And so what does your life look like down the road? If you're, you know, fat and dying and you've set that example for your kids, or maybe you're dying of lung cancer. Right. And like, this sounds a little grim and, and a little harsh, but it's proof it's works. Like, the, and I, I, what I tell people when I work with them is like, 
do you care how we do it as long as you get the result and it, it, it's ethical? You know, it might be a little weird, but you are seeing a hypnotist after all, right? And uh, yeah, everybody, no one's ever disagreed. And uh, we've gotten some amazing results. So, and you said that you've done hypnosis before, yeah? Sort of. It was sort of a regression hypnosis, yeah, in a way. They kind of like laid on a bed and she was kind of <laughs> counting down. So she was kind of doing the the steps. I don't, you know, I, I, I've gotten to that place in a meditative way before. So... <laughs> I, I was kind of in this weird quasi I'm not sure if I'm doing it right because I've felt this before in meditating, but I do know that there's high similarity. And if we want to talk about the science, there's high similarity between the brain wave state, which I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is like theta or delta waves that you're dropping into. Yep. And then, you know, to reprogram that, that same subconscious behavior. So, and the reason I ask you about you doing it before is because we're, we're on this topic of like direct suggestion and, and threshold. And, you know, I'm wondering if, if you had experienced it, your experience is going to be directly correlated to the level of threshold that you're at or not at. Right. So I find that a lot of people um, like myself, like you who are involved in this, these sort of communities and subconscious modalities, a lot of times we're like, we want to try new things to see, like we're not necessarily at that threshold where we have to change and it has to be now. And so that can actually affect the efficacy of the process and, and, and what we experience. But uh, yeah, so that's interesting that, you know, you've experienced it and re- did you receive like direct suggestions to, in, I don't know what you were working on, but to improve what, whatever it is you were there to work on. It was probably about a year ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And from what I remember is it was likely around money and it was likely around money and it was kind of this story that she was going of kind of your floating and then going through a forest and nothing. I don't think anything really strong came up like memory wise. And I remember after the fact of her saying like that, you're in a really good place that you're, you know, everything's kind of basically good, which is a weird thing to hear. Cause it's like, <laughs> Well, I, I I came here to get more money, but then you're kind of coming in and saying that everything's good. And it, and then obviously over time, I've kind of gotten to this place of realizing that there's a, a seed and I've, I've actually kind of explored this more over the last week. So it's interesting. This is coming up again, Mm. which is my trust in the universe. And like you said, with your impatience, I'm impatient as well. I, Mm. I just want to go, I want to do, I want to make things happen. And I'm very much, I think in a, state of being right now where I need to trust the process, take my time, realize that I, you know, I'm provided for in all physical manners. So there's no reason that I need more money, but then it's, it's that weird, like little, it's kind of what you're talking about. And and maybe this is validating my experience in a way, because I wasn't in this deep spot of pain and threshold and needing to do anything right now. Like my basic survival isn't on the table. It still isn't on the table. Mm. And so it can almost come across as this, well, you don't really need to do it. So why do it anyhow? Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting you say that because it also gets into the conversation of like, what's our attachment to the outcome that we want? And so 
I don't know. I think a lot of people are desperate to change and to get an outcome. And then you can also be desperate without being at threshold. You may not be in a circumstance that's painful enough for you, even though you think you're desperate for the $10 million or the, you know, number one podcast or whatever it is. Right. But you may not at from a physiological, emotional standpoint, you may not be at threshold where the, where the catalyst isn't strong enough yet. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because you, it, it, I don't want to say you can't get change from, from not being at threshold. You absolutely can. I mean, I, I go see my own hypnotist routinely. I do my own self-hypnosis all the time. I'm not constantly at threshold to make these changes, but I think the beauty of all this subconscious work and part of the reason why I, um, I started gaining traction on, on TikTok specifically was I started talking about manifesting. That seems to be a buzzword in, in the world right now. And really, when you look at manifesting, the definition of the word means to be evidence of, right? And to, like, that's literally, if you Google it, to manifest is to be evidence of, to prove. So what that means is like, we have to become evidence of the outcome that we want of the manifestation. So how do we become evidence of that? We change our programs. We change the emotional uh, patterns that are happening and how we feel. But I, the, re- the, o- the only reason I'm bringing this up now is because you mentioned like, you know, being okay with where you're at, right? And, and her telling you that you're good. I I have found that the happiest people I've ever met, worked with, I found that the times that I've been the happiest have been when I didn't care about the external world at all. And because I think that's the beauty of when we talk about manifesting, if manifesting is to become evidence of the manifestation that you want, what that means is you have to produce the feeling before you have the thing. But once you realize that you have the ability to produce the feeling before you have the thing, you realize you don't need the thing. You don't need the money. You don't need any of it. And so I get the chills every time I I talk about this because most people aren't ready to hear what I just said. It's just going to go right over the head. They're going to be like, no, I want the money. I need the money. I need the person. I need whatever. You're good on this channel. Everyone yeah. pick that up. <laughs> good, good. Um, and I, I don't say that to belittle anybody where they are, you know, um, you know, thought-wise or consciousness-wise. It's just, I know some people are just, they want the thing, the specific thing so bad um, that it's really not about that. And that that just leads into a vicious cycle of expectation and missed expectation and things like that where totally crushes your happiness. So, so do you feel like we almost set up a catch 22 here then? Right. Because there's a element of this where we were kind of saying at the beginning where you need to be in this state of, it has to be now I have to make this change. Now I'm in this place of fear of shame, guilt. I, I need to move past this. I need to get out of it. And that's when the hypnosis works. It's a little bit more of this help catalyst. It's like a slingshot, but yet if you're in this place of everything's good, I don't really need anything. I have all the feelings that I have now where, I mean, first of all, do you see any kind of balance between that or even Hmm. how do you cultivate change? Right? Because if I feel perfectly at ease with where I'm at, then part of me thinks that nothing's going to change. I mean, have you kind of worked that out yourself? Yeah. And I use the word paradox and it is a paradox because I think there's an important distinction here is when we're talking about hypnotizing someone for a specific result and asking, are you at threshold? Are you at the point where you need to get that specific result? We're not actually, we're not necessarily talking about our internal state of happiness, right? I'm when I say the most enlightened people and the happiest people are the ones that don't focus on the specific result. That's exactly what I mean. But that doesn't mean you can't hypnotize yourself for a specific result. It just means that I personally don't think that should be the primary goal because I've seen people 
you know, and this is not to pat myself on the back, but like I've worked with the top 1% of people and they're all dealing with the same shit that you and I are and people in every demographic. And so what I always say is that there's a different devil at every level. And so there's always going to be fear and anxiety, but the people who I find have the best quality of life, regardless of their like 3d experience and their circumstance are the people that just constantly take an appraisal of like their emotional state and then use these modalities to focus on the emotional state rather than what the emotional state can get them. It's interesting. It is very interesting because there's always like a little program with me and I think it's probably attached to money where I feel like there are, I mean, there's examples of it and there's probably examples counter to what I'm about to say, but examples of people who are in that, always in that fight or flight state, always in that threshold state of, I need more money, more money needs to come to me. Like I'm and then they hit this whole cat and mouse game where they are consistently running on that program of, I need it. It needs to come now. It needs to be next the bigger. Okay. That dollar didn't do it. The next one probably will do it. Oh, that one didn't do it. All right. The next dollar is actually going to be the one that does it. And so it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating to me. And I assume that there are also people on the flip side who are, let's say, relatively content with life who are also wildly as successful as they are. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think that, do you think that success, happiness and happiness is somewhat dependent on the 3d world, the, the external experience that we're having? I think it depends on what level of consciousness and awareness you're coming from. I, I think that if you're from a lower what they say is density, a lower density of awareness, then yeah. But if you're mm-hmm. operating from a higher, more spiritual, angelic realm, then no, you can cultivate every emotion with inside your body that you want to feel about anything mm-hmm. and everything. You can decide that a stapler makes you angry and you can feel anger right away. You can mm-hmm. decide that a stapler makes you feel joy and you can feel joy right away anytime you see a stapler. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, that's, I guess, how I see it, right? And then it's kind of this game of, at least the game I play with myself is always monitoring my emotions of, okay, when when did I feel less than joy? And and I feel like that's always a catalyst to reprogram something myself to always then feel joy in that situation. Mm-hmm. So what do you think has been the biggest we talk about catalyst. What do you think has been the biggest catalyst or, or shift for you that has put you down that path of like being able to take that appraisal of your emotional state? Like what do you, what do you think got you there? So growing up, I was always very logically minded. I was like an athletic nerd is what I always say. I went to college for computer engineering, played sports. And the the catalyst that honestly even opened me up to this whole spiritual world. I'd been meditating for probably four or five years at the time I was meditating for four or five years, but the awareness of it like really took off when I started doing some psilocybin therapy, which mm-hmm. quite frankly is a, is a form of hypno- hypnosis in itself. You're, mm-hmm. you're just using a drug to a drug. Let's call it a plant. <laughs> you're using a fungus or a plant to actually just, put you into that brainwave pattern and then, you know, kind of work the things out. And 
that was probably whenever I started really, that was when I was like, okay, holy shit. There's so much more than just meets the eye. There's so much more than just this physical item. There's so much more than just this physical body. I am so much more than just what you see and hear and can taste and touch on this physical plane of existence. And I think just that awareness alone has just, you know, it's, it's opened me up and made me say what the fuck so many times. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because when we, I think when we first talked, we, we, we had discussed a little bit about why I take a more neurological, like uh, practical approach to these sort of things. And I, I like to think that I, I kind of operate at the crossroads of like spirituality, uh, neurology, you know, and some of the more esoteric supernatural things. And um, the, what's happening though, is like, there may be quantum level things at play. There may be energetic or spiritual things at play. But what I have found is that the only thing that we can replicate and measure, and the reason we can replicate is we can measure and track it, are the things that we have empirical evidence for. And so I believe in these more supernatural processes that are happening behind the scenes. I believe in the quantum world and things like that. However, you and I do not have the ability to measure it or track it, which means we can't replicate it and refine it, which means we can't a hundred percent with confidence use it time and time again to get the results that we want. That's not to say it's not, not a thing. So a lot of what I discuss and how I approach this is like, what can I back up with some bit of science and what are, what is the empirical evidence to show that, you know what, this is how this works. This is why it works. And this is the result that we can get from it. Because at the end of the day, everybody, especially in the manifestation world, everybody likes to say, well, we're spiritual beings having a human experience and, or a cosmic being having, that may be true. I genuinely believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience, but that's the point. We're having a human experience. And as long as you are, you and I are in this meat sack, right? We're going to be bound by the physical world to some extent. Now, once again, we don't know exactly how much, and obviously people like you and I and your listeners are learning that there's so much more than just our physical body. But at the end of the day, if you go try to run through that wall behind you, you're going to feel it, right? No matter what sort of work you do or how enlightened you've become. And so I know this, and I don't mean to sound like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm poo-pooing, you know, the, the more esoteric things that, we're, that we'll probably discuss. Um, I just think it's important because I think a lot of people are out there selling like this snakes, snake oil and like these fantasy and these dream like solutions to people. And most people are not even ready to like comprehend what is possible with those more esoteric concepts. Right. And so that's, my, that that's my little rant for the, for the whole podcast on, on the physical <laughs> nature of everything. Yeah. To just put us where you're, where you're seated and <laughs> hey, look, I'm all on board, man. Like there are for sure snake oil salesmen in the spirituality, the metaphysics. I see it myself and you know, it sucks. It sucks to hear it. I mean, you get, I got flooded with DMS whenever I was starting out, uh, not so much anymore of, yo, this, you know, I got a message that you need to hear, you know, send me $5 or else bad shit's going to happen to you. Like, like it's fucked up. That's fucked up that people do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure there's a reason, but we're not going to get into that right now. Mm. And I still think that there's probably something similar that happens on the physical side as well. You know, you have to move this way. You have to eat this. I mean, diet, medication, medicine, right? Like I see medicine as being the snake oil salesman of the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. And 
That's not to say it's all bad. I understand that some of it's good. I know some people need to get it. I totally respect mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But to even kind of maybe shift it back into the parallels between the physical scientific world and then this mystical spiritual world, where I've been starting to view this landscape is that the physical world this episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Superpass. Now, what the hell is Superpass, you might be asking? Well, I use Superpass to host my website, host all of my amazing content. I use them for my app, the app, the amazing app that I know you're listening to this on that I don't even need to tell you about that's available on the Amazon. and oh, It's not available on Amazon. It's available on the iOS and Google Play Store. That app, the one that you're listening to this podcast on, the Traveling to Consciousness app, they're absolutely amazing. So honestly, if you're a content creator and need to organize and put things in one place, I highly recommend Superpass. They have an amazing community. They have an amazing support team who I've always been in contact with, reaching out with, and they're always increasing that product. So I highly recommend it. At checkout, I highly also recommend that you use promo code Clayton2022 because you'll receive 10% off your first 12 months of a yearly or monthly package, which is up to like a $300 value, which is crazy. So please go do that. Check that out. Click the link below, go down to sponsors, click on the Superpass affiliate link and sign up today. Superpass, everything you need to build a content business. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Aquarius Mushrooms. And Aquarius Mushrooms creates what I can only describe as these fine art sculptures that are all one of a kind and these plush mushroom fabric sculptures. They're what I would describe as being like little trip buddies. They're perfect for anyone who has a room that is dedicated to spiritual adventures or anyone who is looking for a fine piece of art that is one of a kind. I think I said that, but one of a kind to enhance their psychedelic experience. I'm sober and I look at mine all the time and it just oozes out this creative and spiritual energy that I it's hard for me to stop looking at sometimes. And so if you are on even maybe just smoking some weed, like I can only see how this thing would open up a portal to a new world. So I highly recommend that you click the sponsors link below, scroll down where you see Aquarius mushrooms, click their website and see if any of them speak to you. Because if it does, I can only imagine how it's going to speak to you in the real world. Aquarius mushrooms, mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment is a little bit more masculine in my opinion and the Mm -hmm. spiritual being the creative flowy essence that it is is more feminine Mm -hmm. and so i truly believe that we need to find that balance right there are absolutely things that we cannot explain there are synchronicities that happen in our life that if i told you you'd be like yeah that doesn't make any sense like cool man like go to your thing (laughs) yeah and yet there's things in the physical world that we can all say okay yeah like that makes sense but even then it only makes sense for a percentage of people in this study it's like on Mm -hmm. average so many people so it's still not for everybody Mm -hmm. and so i just you know and i i think it's probably something that i'm starting to guide my way back towards because i know for the majority of the first half of this podcast or the first year of this podcast was much more in the feminine you know creative feel realm but but it's so true that you do need that science or the it's not even science it's more of just like what can we replicate in this physical world that embodies or even can enhance our understanding of the mystical world 
Exactly. And, and I think you just kind of alluded to this, not just not not necessarily science, but what are once again, I go always go back to what can I track and what can I measure? Because if I can track and measure, I can improve it and I can replicate it. And then I know that I can use whatever process it is, even if it allows space for the magical and mysterious things to happen. I know that I can use it time and time again to get a specific re- result 100 percent of the time. And it's you know, I think about my progress and my success spiritually, energetically, you know, physically, much in the same way that I would look at like growing a business, right? A business is not going to most likely, I'm sure there's anomalies here, anomalies here, but most businesses are not going to become wildly successful unless they, unless they have some important KPIs that they can track and processes that they can measure and refine and make better and then replicate. And so I, I always sound like a broken record here because I, I've, everything I've experienced in my life and my philosophy has come down to that simple idea that we have to be able to track it and measure it. That needs to be, my point is that needs to be like the micro, like the, the minutia part of like our life and our success and, and, and progress. We can have a macro perspective that anything's possible. I mean, for God's sake, you and I were, were, you know, formed from one single cell, right. In, in the womb and all our intricate systems and our organs developed from that one cell. And so there's a spirit, there's a consciousness, there's an energy, there's a life force that, that you and I have access to. Everybody has access to, and it doesn't just go away. Right. But I think that should be the macro. That should be like the, the landscape that we operate in. And then like on the day-to-day micro level is like, what are the specific like empirically backed um, processes? Because that we can do time and time again. Doesn't mean don't dabble with the thing. Don't dabble with the things that we can't measure. Um, but so that that's just that's how I've approached like any change that I've ever accomplished in my own life. Well, there's certainly there's certainly a lot of power in what you track, right? I think there was I don't know if this was a saying or something, but it's like if you can't if you can't track it, you're not paying attention to it. Or what it's something like if you're not paying it if you're not tracking it then you're not you sure if it's it. yeah yeah something like yeah you can't improve yeah. it and this is actually something that comes down to my kind of 2023 goals where i was kind of sitting there and i was writing things out it was like you know what, what can we track right you can track money you can track your podcast downloads you can track sources of income you can track uh, what was the other thing I had? A couple of these other things, podcast followers on Instagram, followers on TikTok. And it really struck me though, as kind of what we were talking about earlier in this podcast is that these are all material things. These are all just material items. And I know there's a piece of me that knows that it's not going to get me more happiness. If I make another $20,000, there's not going to be more happiness. If I have another 20,000 followers, but there's something about it where I was like, well, like, how do I even create like a, a spiritual idea? Like what, like, how can I be more spiritually aligned? And it's like, there's no number that I can really put on this piece of paper to track, you know, how happy I have been throughout the years or how much this I've been throughout the yeah. year. So it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting predicament of trying to set a goal to quote unquote, become more spiritual, but how do you even track such a thing? So it's, it's, 
awesome that you brought this up because something I do every single day is track my emotional states. And Mm. so I'll usually track two or three at a time, meaning I'll track my um, subjectively, I'll track my productivity, my, what I call alacrity. That's not what I call it's the word alacrity means a cheerful readiness. Right. And so um, that's one of my words for 2023 is like alacrity and that's to help me avoid putting things off. And so every day I track, like, what was my productivity? What was my alacrity? And sometimes I'll have things like, what was my level of happiness today? Or sometimes it'd be more specifically, what, what was, what was the, the, um, level of happiness inside of my marriage with my wife. Right. And I'll track that at 30 day stints. And all my, all I'm doing is using a subjective unit of, uh, what's called distress, right. What the medical community uses as suds, right. A sud scale scale from zero to 10, how painful is something I use that same model for to say, okay, I scale from zero to 10. What was my alacrity today? That's it. Right. Like, and it's just whatever comes to mind first. And I just take a subjective measurement. And I think that's a way to kind of measure what you were talking about from an emotional standpoint, even though it's like not necessarily tangible, um, which I think is, it could be useful to a lot of people. Well, so that's even a super fascinating thing that you bring up there, which is self-reporting. And I feel like a lot of science, maybe not all of it, but a good amount of science based things that we try to use. And if it's not coming from your biological mechanisms, when it comes to science, a lot of it is self-reporting. How do you feel today? How are you doing this today? How are you, you know, feeling? And it's, it's so subjective. And then, you know, it, it's, it's just, I guess, a fascinating idea of where that subjectiveness turns into science, right? If you get a hundred thousand people who tell you how good they feel on a certain day, you know, what, what is it going to be, right? Like what impacted that? And then you try to deduce all these different items of maybe it was the weather, maybe it was the news, maybe it was, you know, some sort of earthquake that occurred. But at the end of the day, it's almost like we're trying to take this objective, the subjective mystical experiences that we all encounter and turn it into concrete science. And I think that's a, I don't know. That's a, that's a very, fascinating thing to look at and i don't i don't really know where to go with that well it's it's a slippery slope because i'm thinking about it even from like a a sleep perspective so if you talk about research about sleep for a second as far as tracking because that's also subjective to a lot of people if you just ask someone like how was your quality of sleep last night right yeah neurologically or physiologically restorative it may not have been good right if you measure certain things in, in the body but consciously like your awareness being be like no i actually feel good right now i must have i must have slept well and so maybe you mark on your on your tracker like i would maybe say well i slept like eight out of a ten last night right and so that's my subjective unit but then tomorrow i go and i check back in again and i'm like i'm not only gauging how i feel in that moment i'm also gauging how i felt in relation to last to yesterday and so I bring this up because some people, a lot of, a lot of people like to use like the aura rings and and the whoops and the things that track sleep, but the inverse happens as well. Like if you have a bad night's sleep and you see that number on your tracker or on your phone in the app, you are more likely to perceive your quality of your current state as diminished because, oh, well, this tracker said I slept bad. So now your perception and your, you know, the subjective idea of how you're feeling is altered because of a previous data point. So I guess the the moral of the story is there's no perfect way 
um, for us individually, probably to, to actually have some sort of scientific process to measure these things subjectively, right? Because it's never going to be like, the, it, everything's going to be some sort of perception based on like a trillion data points. Yeah. And that for sure brings us back to that, that blend of the mystical and the physical, because you definitely need to have your own sort of discernment whenever seeing these things, which is, I mean, that's crazy to think about. Cause I know I had a buddy who had one of those rings or those watches and he, I remember asking him like how it was going and he was like, Oh man, it sucks. They're terrible. Don't use it. They're a shitty investment. I'm like, well, what, like what's going on? Like what's wrong with it? And he was like, man, like, you know, I wake up feeling good. And then I look at it and it's saying that I only slept for like five minutes last night and only got a little bit of deep breath, but I feel great. And I just like, this happens every single night. So I just kind of got over it and threw it out. So the question then becomes is who's right in that situation? Did I mean, he feels great. He's doing good, but the, whatever the biometrics that it's tracking are saying that he's doing bad. So did he get a good night of sleep or a bad night of sleep? <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's, that is the paradox of that. And I'm sure if you extrapolate it at, if you extrapolate it out over a lifetime to say like, you know, the health benefits and things of it, maybe there could be some correlation to what the the validity of what that tracker is saying. But from a general, like emotional level, I don't think there's any way to really say, okay, no, this, this tracker is, is affecting me positively or negatively. Yeah. I think that probably, it probably ties into like it, it working for certain people and then other people, not so much. So it's a fascinating thing. How did you, how did you get into switch slight topic switch? How did you get into uh, hypnosis? Like from the beginning, how'd that start out for sure. Yeah. So I was the type of guy and the, the, if people couldn't tell already, the type of guy that's skeptical and like, I always like, you know, I was, you know, prideful about the fact that I was analytical and logical. And I look back and think how like foolish I was to even <laughs> ident identify as that. But I was the type of guy that if you said hypnosis, I would laugh in your face. Like I, I would literally like make fun of you. I'd, I'd just be like a bully about it because I think you're so stupid for, you know, believing in that esoteric crap. But in 2016, I was fat. I was over 300 pounds. Um, I was suicidal. Like I would literally, I would literally be driving my car and I'd close my eyes hoping that I hit something. Right. Cause I was just so down and out. And, and thankfully I never hurt anybody. Never hurt myself. Never got I, something always, you know, made me grab back onto the wheel. But I got to that point of threshold, right? I got to that point of desperation where like, not just, it wasn't just cause I was fat. Right. And I wasn't depressed because of the way I looked. Sure. I didn't like that, but I was depressed because here I was a grown ass man knowing what I had to do, but not doing it. Like I knew I was an expert on weight loss. I was an expert. Like I knew everything about intermittent fasting, keto, calorie counting, law of thermodynamics, all these different intricacy thing. Like I could write a book on it at the time, even though I was a fat piece of crap. And so I just felt like a shadow of a man, a shadow of a person to know all these things, to have all this information, but not be able to execute on it. And that's what made me depressed and suicidal. And so I had enough of it. And I was like, someone was suggested going, seeing it, going to see a hypnotist. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let like, <laughs> what's the worst that could happen. And you know what? I did one session with somebody in six months, I lost 82 pounds without ever using willpower, without changing anything. Like I wasn't, I just naturally started eating better. I naturally started going to the gym more. I do think that there was some, uh, you know, 
subconscious level mechanisms like controlling my metabolism and things like that that were that were becoming more effective and efficient and so that sent me on this whole journey because i was like if it could work for me as like as the cliche goes like if it works for me it's got to work for everybody else and so I ended up using it on my fear of flying. I went to another hypnotist for a fear of flying. I, I used to miss trips. Like I would literally bail out of vacations last minute and lose thousands of dollars because I was scared of going on a plane. Use, hypnoti- use a hypnotist for that. 20 minutes, fear of flying gone. Um, I had crippling health anxiety where like I would literally get, dude, I've had, I've had spinal taps. I've had bone marrow biopsies. I've had multiple MRI, like you name the, the procedure as far as like, um, scans and tests, I've had it done all because I had anxiety about my health and I would literally manifest physical, um, symptoms that had no real physiological cause simply because of the anxiety and the stress I was putting on myself. Went to go see a hypnotist one time, boom, gone. Like to the point that people who know me now and knew me then if they haven't, they don't even recognize me. Not even just because, just like, not even just because the way I look, but like who I am. People like, it's funny because I come across people who still expect that old Anthony, right? That old, that old guy that I was, and they're still assigning that identity to me. And mm. there's like this disconnect where, like, dude, how are you, like, how are you not freaking out right now? How are you not talking about your health? How are you not like so anxious? And um, yeah, so. Long story short, I was like, if it works for me, it could work for anybody. I started doing it for free for friends and family. I was reading the books, taking some online courses, started. I didn't even know what I was doing and people were getting crazy results. And then uh, slowly I just started taking on paid clients and doing one-on-one and here we are. And here we are recording a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dude, that's a wild story, man. That's Mm -hmm. always a... I think that's always a amazing reflection too, whenever you can kind of visit back with old friends and they're like, who the hell is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? And he's telling us he's Anthony. This isn't Anthony. Mm -hmm. This isn't the mentally constructed person of Anthony that I remember. That's a wild story. It's funny because my, 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 what my wife, um, you know, we got married uh, in October. We've been together for four years now. So she met me after I had, started improving my myself and started changing my programming and becoming a whole new person and we'll run into people who knew me back then and she it's like it's like they're talking about a whole different person that she's not even aware of and it's always like this funny conversation that happens because they're like yeah anthony was like miserable depressed talked about his health all the time constantly thought he had cancer like we had no good habit about him. And she's like, what? Like, is that you? And I'm like, I totally stopped. I'm like, don't, 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 don't tell me too much. <laughs> she might leave me. You gotta you stop yeah. <laughs> back up yeah. a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, man. I mm-hmm. mean, and I guess that's gotta be, do you feel like that just, that feels amazing whenever you see people like that? So that kind of points to the, the process and the result of like doing this subconscious work is that I don't really feel any way about it because this has become my new normal. Like I've literally become a new person from like a subconscious neurological level. Like my beliefs and my fears and all that is like in such a different place that this just feels like my new normal. And what's funny about that is like when I work with someone, even they they'll make a drastic change, totally change their life, but I won't hear from them. And then I'll talk to them three months down the road, four months, six months down the road, a year from, you know, year after their sessions with me. And they're just acting like nothing happened. 
But like, if I ask them about their life, all of a sudden they lost 40 pounds, you know, they're in a, they're in a healthy relationship, their business grew by X percentage. And like, I don't needle them and ask that. I just like take this opportunity. And what I realized is that like, it, it just became their new normal, right? It just became natural to them. Mm. So it didn't seem novel or, or miraculous. It was just, who, they literally became who they needed to be And that. I do think we should eventually get into the topic of like, what, what does it mean to actually make these changes? And like, as far as like getting the results you want, because you mentioned before, everybody's like, well, if I had the money, right, I want to manifest this money, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be successful, et cetera. Right. If I have the person, then I'll feel loved. If I have the house, if I have this, if I have that, but that's actually working backwards because you will never be able to have what is not congruent with who you are. Meaning that your results in life, whether it's the this number on the scale, the number in your bank account, the number of listeners you have on your podcast, is going to be a direct result of who you are. And when I say who you are, I don't mean some fluffy thing. I mean, like, what are the beliefs you have? What are the programs running at a subconscious level? Because those are dictating how you interact in this 3D world. And that those interactions, those actions dictate your results. And so too many people try to get to the end before they assess like, well, am I, am I being who I need to be? Do I have the beliefs that are congruent with what it is I'm trying to achieve and what I'm trying to manifest? And so, yeah, I, I think, what, how do you feel about, like, what do you think? Cause you mentioned the whole idea of like, kind of like trying to get to the, the a certain level of money or followers and things like, have you found that sometimes there's been like a, a disconnect between like kind of what you want as far as the end result and maybe where you're at kind of subconsciously in, in the programs that are going? Oh, for sure. I yeah. think that's probably, I mean, just to touch on it, generically speaking, I think that's probably something that everyone kind of deals with or struggles with or has, right? Because we're only in a singular moment at every point in time. And the thing that almost keeps most people going is that vision of something bigger, something more, something grander. Of course, not everybody. I know there's some people who are very content with where they are, which is amazing. Mm. And I think that, you know, there's something to be said for that. But yeah, I mean, even myself, I, I kind of started doing some of this work last night where I was talking, I was on another girl's podcast, an amazing channeler. I love this chick. She was kind of talking about how she works with energy and her whole thing is to, you know, we're going to get in a little bit of that woo woo that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> so be prepared. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So she was talking about how so many of her friends just need to, they think that it, like dating is luck or getting rich is lucky. And so they just need to go on 10,000 dates until they find the right person, or they just need to try 10,000 things before they get that millionth dollar. And her thing is no, like that's not how any of this works. You need to work with the energy. You need to do the energetic work in order to just set up the dominoes so that you can then, like you're saying, just naturally flow through your life so that things kind of just come in. And where I was kind of getting at the beginning of this was that's something that I kind of just started working at last night where I, I really haven't put too much effort or thought into a relationship. I was, uh, my last relationship was maybe like a year and a half ago ish. And, mm -hmm. and now I'm like, okay, like what's going on here? Like I, I, you know, and I'm like, oh, you haven't actually put any thought into it, you know, number one <laughs> and number two, let's look at those beliefs that you have. Right. And so I literally sat down on my bed last night. I said to myself, brought in the energy of love, you know, all that kind of esoteric stuff. 
And I said to myself, okay, what are limiting beliefs that I have around my current situation and having a girlfriend? And I went through a list of probably like four or five things that came up. And I was like, I was like, shit, I didn't realize I had all these kind of limiting beliefs around it. And so I kind of went one by one and, you know, basically wrote out why they're not true, like where the where the line is or ways around these limiting beliefs or things that you can circumvent or these infinite different ideas that you can actually hold as opposed to this one limiting belief. And so I think that might be something that we tend to get stuck with. We, we tend to get stuck in our limiting beliefs and not realize that we're operating with those limiting beliefs intact because those are just our default programming. I'm not able to be with someone because I might not be in the state that I always, this was one, I, I, there was a limiting belief of, okay, I'm not exactly sure I'm going to be in Pittsburgh the rest of my life. So, you know, there's no reason for me to kind of find somebody. And, Mm -hmm. and that limiting belief, I was like, wait a second, if I don't know that I'm not going to be here forever, I might be able to find someone who's not going to be here forever. They might have a remote job, like my remote job. So like, that's very much a plausible person. And wait a second, that's the person I want to be with is someone who also has a remote job that can travel and do stuff and makes their own time. So it's, it's very interesting how we can even just put on a piece of paper, all these qualities we want to find a significant other. But then we simultaneously hold this belief system that that person doesn't exist. And so when you go and consult the energy of love, let's say, it's going to be like, look, I know you want this, but you subconsciously don't believe that that exists. So how am I supposed to bring that to you? Exactly. And that is like the first step of achieving anything, whether you want to call it manifesting something or achieving a result. And as in a person, a relationship, money, podcast followers, whatever is like, is what I call the phase one is clarity. And I always say this on my lives on TikTok and like clarity is cliche for a reason. It's because it's, it's true. Like cliches are cliche for a reason because they're true, right? Mm -hmm. Every coach, every consultant, everybody talks about getting clear on what it is that you want. But what you just alluded to and not alluded to, but said is like you investigated your beliefs. Most people don't take the time to sit there and be like, well, what are my beliefs? What do I believe that is congruent with what I want? What do I believe that's not congruent with what I want? And then phase two is like talking about what we're talking about is like hypnosis, like using modalities like hypnosis, EMDR, tapping some of the more esoteric things that we're going to discuss to actually change those bro those programs at a subconscious and neurological level because once again your results your 3d reality your, your external world is going to be a reflection of your internal world your programming and so that's awesome that you actually did that and uh so you said channeling love because i love that because once again everything is about feeling to me emotion and and as though it does sound esoteric can you can you talk about that process i'm i'm, I'm kind of selfishly interested in in that process that you were just talking about no it's totally cool if if you have the question, then maybe someone else has the question. Yeah. So channeling is really interesting. So I, I worked with someone to kind of open my channel and the way I would describe it, I don't, I don't believe that you have to work with someone. I think it's something you could probably develop on your own. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a little bit of a complex run on answer, but I think it kind of in, implies all these different things. I, I mean, it's really I would say channeling is really just getting to that harmonizing place, that that subconscious place, and then being able to discern the different voices that you hear. 
because we all have a bunch of different voices associated with us. There's the ego, which is like, you need to do this you need to do this. There's the pleasure seeking voice where it's like, yeah, eat that cookie. Like it doesn't matter. You know, it's going to feel good. It's going to, it's going to make you feel like accomplished. There's the, what I would call higher self, which I try to find. And it takes me a second sometimes, which is kind of this more calming presence voice. It might sound like you, it probably will sound like you, but it'll be calmer. It'll be like, I'll be like, okay, should I eat this? And I'll be like, well, you can, if you want to I'm like, okay, well like, but like, I, I want to eat it. I want to, I want to feel good. I want to feel my body. I want to, I want to be in a better alignment. Okay. Then don't eat that. Go for this instead, eat this instead. And so to me, it kind of has this feeling of, of a different energy in that voice. So then where this kind of gets deeper and let's take a back step here. Let's go all the way back to the ancient Romans and ancient Greeks. Right. And I love them. I think they figured this out, but people have misunderstood what they were saying when they figured this out, which is that they had all these different gods, the God of thunder, the God of love, the God of hate, the God of money, the God of merchandise. And what I believe that they were saying, and I think there are texts that actually back this up. So I don't think I'm the first person to come up with this. What they were saying is that there's a energy associated with merchandise. There's an energy of money. There's an energy of love. There's an energy of hate. There's an energy of war, right? So they just called them gods. They said the God of war, the God of hate, the God of love, the God of jealousy. And then they gave them a story. And in this story, they basically mapped out the human personification of what and how this energy would manifest itself in the world. Now, I think there's some people who actually believe that those stories existed and those gods did manifest themselves kind of like a soul incarnating in a human body. Maybe, but I think the underlying pinning of the story is what's more important, which is how these energies actually would play out in our three-dimensional physical reality. So what I've done, and this kind of now goes back into last night, right? Is I get into that place of, you know, meditate, take a key, uh, take a couple deep breaths. I relax. I sit there. I connect to that higher self voice, that very calm, more relaxed, more tranquil voice. And I say, I tell them my intention. I'm like, hey, I want to discover limiting beliefs that are going on around love. So I give you permission. I give you the ability to call in like Cupid, for instance, or any other love gods who wish to help me in identifying limiting beliefs that are holding me back from experiencing my next relationship. And I kind of just sit there and wait and you can almost feel it. You can feel when this, it's like, okay, I'm ready. And then I just take pen to paper and just kind of started going through it and just started writing these things out. And I mean, that's kind of how I've gone through it and gone about it. And I mean, it felt really good after last night. I was like, damn, like this is, this makes a lot of sense as to why I've been having a lot of, it's called bras and impotence. I don't know if you're aware of that term. Yeah. Where it's like, it's a, it was, it was coined by Neville Goddard and bras and impotence is like when you almost have something, but it's not completely there. So for me, it was like all these things about finding a significant other. And whenever I would come in and like start meeting someone, I'm like, holy shit, this person's so aligned. Like we're just connecting, but then they would have a boyfriend or they'd be married. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like what bras and impotence is, is like 
you're almost there, but there's just one thing in that little like esoteric spiritual field that's off. And so that was kind of that thing that I was experiencing in that situation. That's interesting because I think a lot of people experience that where they get so close to their manifestation or the result they want, and then they start getting triggered even more because what's happening is the closer you get to that in your 3D reality is like the more you're actually triggering the subconscious programs that aren't aligned necessarily fully. So there may be things that you have to go or whoever like has to go back and figure out like what isn't yet aligned. What haven't I become aware of yet, which I think you mentioned something about, we can do this by ourselves. And I wholeheartedly believe you can do all this by yourself. But I do think for people out there who are just kind of dipping their toe into this world, it is helpful one to be listening to podcasts like this, right? Having someone like you kind of guide them through it and all the people that you have on. But two, also, it's like going to the gym, right? You can go to the gym by yourself as like a newbie. But if you have someone there, a personal trainer, like holding your hand, so to speak, and like teaching you how to use the equipment and move your body, you're going to have a much better experience, a more effective experience, and you're going to learn a lot more, a lot quicker. And the same is true through any modality we use, whether it's channeling or hypnosis. At first, I do think that it is beneficial if someone has the time and the resources to have someone help them along. And this is not, I'm not, this is not a pitch (laughs) for me because I I hire my own people, (laughs) but you want to go with someone who you have rapport with, right? You want to have someone that resonates with you, but you are most likely, and not even most likely, you're going to 99 times out of a hundred have a more effective experience if you're guided by someone who has already made the mistakes, has already learned the processes. So, um, but that's th- thanks for sharing that. And you mentioned something about intention, which I think is important too. Um, most people get into situations or circumstances or their day without setting their intention. And I am like hardcore, like I I always set my intention on anything. Even on the, coming on this podcast, I was thinking all last night and today, like my intention is like, I'm going to go on this podcast. This podcast, this his episode is going to be the most viewed and most listened to episode, but not, I didn't stop there. Like, of course, that's my intention, but like, why is that my intention? How am I going to make that happen at like a subconscious? Like, who do I need to be getting into the topic of like, who do I need to be? What do I need to do to facilitate like, just like this beautiful interaction that is going to be more valuable to people and, and reach more people. Most people just get intentional on like, okay, yeah, I want the million dollars. It's not enough to just be like, okay, I want, I want the money or I want the result. And so that, that, thank you for, for mentioning that. Cause I wanted, I really did want to talk about setting intentions here. No, I'm glad you did that. And honestly, I had the thought it might've been last night or this morning. It was probably this morning. And I was thinking to ask you to do some sort of hypnosis at the beginning of this podcast to <laughs> see if we could hypnotize <laughs> the audience or something to actually make this like the most shared at podcast episode of all time or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty funny reflection right there. But, but even go ahead. Do you want to say something on that? No, no, I'm just, no, I'm listening. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to ask you, I mean, speaking of this and helping people, is there a, you were saying that you hypnotize yourself sometimes. Are you able to, break down and even give an example of how you do that? Sure. So I do self-hypnosis almost every single day. Um, you know, and once again, you, you mentioned like meditation versus hypnosis and them being similar states. And I don't get too caught up in that. I will say that the intention is different. Talk about intention to me. And this is just my personal belief. And what I found most people use meditation for is kind of like this, um, escape mechanism where they're feeling the anxiety, they're feeling the stress of the day. And so they say, okay, well, I'm going to go meditate to get out of that feeling, right? And it works, right? They feel better for an hour, maybe even feel better for the rest of the day. But 
they didn't they didn't actually assess and change the program of the anxiety. And so even though they've experienced relief from meditating for a short period of time, it ends up coming back because it's still part of their subconscious mind and their program when it's happening. Where hypnosis, the intention is not just to like escape it. Let's investigate this belief. Let's investigate this emotion and the program that's coming up. Let's find out where we learned it, why we learned it, and how can we change our brain's perspective of those events that caused us to learn it. And so what I'm always doing on a day-to-day basis is when I sit down to do hypnosis, I've done hypnosis so often that I can literally just close. I've, I've, we're all basically like Pavlov's dogs, but you know, with our esophagus is still intact, intact, as I like mm. to say, because most people don't know that he actually cut the esophaguses out of dogs <laughs> as grim as that sounds. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and that, that's, a, that's obviously a joke there, but what, what I mean is that like we can condition ourselves to do anything and we can be triggered, but like you said, a stapler, we can condition ourselves to look at a stapler and feel joy. I've conditioned myself through these processes that I use to just be able to close my eyes. And uh, I use what's called the three, two, one method where, where if you've ever heard of uh, Jose Silva um, and the Silva method for anybody that's uh, looked at his work, um, it's just a process of first walking yourself through a physical relaxation, then walking yourself through mental relaxation. And then um, he, uh, Jose Silva first used this process to get into what we call the flow state or what we would call like the actual state of hypnosis. These are just kind of boxes that we put these different states in. There's no way to like really cut our brain open and see like, okay, well, now you're at the perfect level of physical relaxation, the perfect level of mental relaxation to get into hypnosis. And so what you can do through repetition and through using like, let's say guided hypnosis audios is you can condition your brain so that when you close your eyes and for me, when I, when I say the number three and I, I see it written somewhere, like I own a, a, a building down the road for me. And I imagine this three being on the side of that building. And so that to me triggers my subconscious mind to send me into the conditioned state of physical relaxation that I've done with repetition. Then I imagine the number two being written on the side that sends me into the conditioned state of mental relaxation. And then I say one, and that just signals to my subconscious mind that we're going into the state that we need to be into. So I literally, now I can close my eyes and just say three, two, one, and I'll go into that altered state. So, um, that was kind of just like a 30,000 foot view of like what that process looks like. Are you able to break down that process into like a two, three minute thing? Like I've just sure. like, so that. go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, yeah, I can kind of, I'll give everybody the framework because this is, it's actually a lot easier than most people realize. Hypnosis is not some magical state. We actually go into the state of hypnosis every single day, specifically right before we go to bed at nighttime and right when we wake up. You mentioned theta and, and alpha and delta and things like that. There are, there are brainwave states associated with different states of consciousness. Naturally, when we fall asleep and, we're, and our mind and body is getting relaxed, we go into a state of theta right before we fall asleep, which is, some say alpha, some say theta, some say delta, right? Like somewhere around that state of relaxation, we're going into this, what's called non-sleep deep rest. Um, if you, I don't know if you followed Dr. Angie Huberman, neuroscientist out of Stanford, his podcast, he likes to allude to a lot of more esoteric things in a neurological way. And I think it's really good to apply some of that science behind it. But the state of hypnosis is a state of non-sleep deep rest, same as meditation, in my opinion. Once again, it's the process of either that makes them differ. And so my point is, is that we all naturally go into this state, even moments when you're just kind of like engulfed in a good book 
or you're watching a movie and maybe you get emotional from the movie, even though they're just actors on a stage on your screen, but you're having a real physiological response to it. Like you're in a state of hypnosis. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Buzzsprout. And now this ad is for any of my fellow podcasters out there, or even if you're starting to think about a podcast or creating one, a key that you need to know is that you got to put your audio somewhere Then you need someone or something to distribute that audio. And Buzzsprout is by far the best option that I have found to get your audio put out on all of the mainstream directories like Apple podcast, Spotify, Amazon, Google play store, all of them iHeartRadio, you name it. I have been able to be featured on over 18 different podcast platforms because of how easy Buzzsprout makes it to integrate and host your audio on these sites. And honestly, I think I'm hosted on even more than that, but that's all that they'll tell me is it's over 18. And they have great software to track where your episodes are being downloaded, how many downloads you're getting, and so much more. Guys, I highly recommend it for anyone who is starting or interested in starting a podcast. So please go check the sponsors link down in the bottom of the show notes. Scroll down once you get there, go to Buzzsprout, click on the link, and I want you to start hosting, start your podcast, because we need more. It's amazing. Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. What we can do is we can intentionally get to that state by first physically relaxing. And the reason we physically relax is not because hypnosis is a state of physical relaxation. It's not. Most people get this wrong. Even a lot of like really good practitioners get this wrong. From a neurological standpoint, hypnosis is not a state of physical relaxation. It's a state of mental relaxation. But the reason that we get to a state of physical relaxation first is because what the body does, the mind will follow and vice versa. But what what they found is that when you induce physical relaxation intentionally, and all that means is is just taking a few moments to sit there and be like, okay, I'm going to scan my body and I'm just going to move and adjust whatever needs to be moved and adjusted so that I can get nice and comfortable. And once again, this is subjective, right? Just kind of relax your body. And so what you do first step of the process is just say, okay, I'm going to repeat the number three, 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 right? Three times. And I'm going to imagine it written somewhere, maybe out in the space in front of me. And after I've done that, I'm going to say three, 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 and then I'm just going to physically relax my body. And then you do whatever you need to do. It's nothing special, right? Then you get physically relaxed. And when that feels intuitively right to you and you feel like your body is relaxed, you say, okay, now I'm going to go into a state of mental relaxation. And so you say the number two, two, two. Once again, these are just, we, we're creating anchors here, triggers to say that when we say two, two, two in the future, it's going to signal to our brain and our body that we want to get into that altered state. So you, you, you see, and you repeat the number two, two, two in your mind, you walk through a mental relaxation. So the question is, how do we get to a state of mental relaxation? All you do is imagine a scene of mental relaxation right? Like this could be as simple as like finding yourself on a beach. This could be, you know, going back to a very positive memory where you felt relaxed and joy and peaceful. Anything that is not part of your current reality, meaning if you're laying in your bed, like, and you find yourself on a beach in your own mind, will get you to that state that you need to be to or, or get to. Finally, after you've gone intuitively to that mental state and you start feeling some of that peace and calm come over you physically and mentally, you just repeat the number one, one, one. And with the intention that, okay, now we're in that state that we need to be in. And so as you do that more frequently, you can actually expedite that process to where, like I said, I just close my eyes and go three, two, one now, and my body reacts accordingly. Mm. That's so amazing. And then you could even just use this process, like the next step, right? 
if we combine this with what I was talking about earlier with the limiting beliefs and then writing out what those new beliefs I would like to replace it with, you basically take this this situation, right? This this uh, method, the three, two, one. When I say one, I'm now in this deep state. Do I just recall that there's new programs that I want to actually believe? Like, do I like? Is there certain dialogue that you have with yourself? Like, this is my old limiting belief. I want to replace it with this limiting belief. Or do you just take the new one and just say, this is the truth. This is my truth that I wish to subscribe to. So this is where we get back into the conversation of having someone guide the process, right? Because there are techniques. I just, I just kind of described the process of getting into the state of hypnosis. And then we have the process of hypnosis, meaning what are the techniques we use once we're in the state? And so someone can very easily get themselves into a state of hypnosis because we naturally do it anyways. And the, the mind is already conditioned to like allow that state to happen. But then in order to like assess our belief systems and our programming, there are certain techniques that we can use. So one I mentioned before earlier is this process of memory reconsolidation. And all that means is a good way to like take in like an appraisal of your beliefs is to like assess your I statements, right? So even if, you know, you can, you can channel, you can get into that. That's I love actually what you were talking about. That's why I wanted to hear more about it, but you can just simply ask yourself, what are the things I say about myself, about my, like to myself, about myself? What are the things I say about myself to other people? simple examples like, you know, I'm not a morning person or I'm not a runner or, you know, no one will ever love me, right? What are the things you say about yourself? And that's really going to give you enough insight into those beliefs that you need to change. And then simply once you're in that state and I'm, I'm really, I'm simplifying this here is you just, you just ask yourself, okay, well, where did this belief come from? And this is a largely intuitive process. Once again, this is where like you mentioned kind of talking to your higher self and being able to distinguish between the voices that are coming up a good, a good way for someone who's just getting into this to know whether or not they're getting, I want to say, quote unquote, the right answer where they need to be is to always go with like your first impression that doesn't elicit like uh, emotion, a negative emotional response, like IE fear, pain, like, right. Like if it just feels right. And that was the first response, go with it, even if it doesn't make sense consciously. And what you can do inside the state is go back to any moment, back to the moment you were born. And people look at me and they think I'm crazy because they're like, I don't remember. I can't even remember, you know, my high school teacher's name, but I've had clients go back to literally the hospital room and recall things that were happening to the point that I didn't even believe them, but then it happened so often that I started having clients confirm with their parents and their parents would be like, how did you know the doctor did that or said that? Or, <laughs> or how do you, you know? And it's just because our brain or our body are, we're taking in data constantly and we don't have access to it all consciously. Right. And that's why I, I firmly believe that you need to get into an altered state in order to connect with that, with that part of your, you know, your subconscious mind, if you will, that has access to it. Yeah, where this uh, gets a little deeper, if you're ready to push your woo-woo knowledge, is oh, that, yeah. have you ever heard of Dolores Cannon or Michael Newton? Yes. Yep. Okay. So you already know. And rest, yeah. Yeah. I know where we're going with this one. <laughs> I, <already know>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think majority of the listeners have probably heard of it, but for those who haven't, they're probably the leading, or are they still both alive? Are they both still alive? Dolores Cannon might've passed. I just, I was just going to say, I think Dolores passed. Yeah. Well, so they're the ones the ex leading, but still, I would say the leading documented 
doctors, psychologists, hypnotherapists, I'm not sure the proper term here, proper scientific mm-hmm. term, who have actually done past life regressions where they've actually regressed people in this hypnotic state to remember past lives and to remember what happens in between life and death. And mm-hmm. man, dude, those were some of like the most profound books I think that I've ever read. And, and going back to what you were saying about it, feeling right, you read these things and it just feels right. It's like, it's like, there's like this internal knowledge or activation that your body is like, yes, like, like this is what happens. And I'm sitting there like, what the, how the fuck do you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. wild. And so I will preface what I'm about to say as a little, as a little background information on me. So I, I am a, I'm a Christian, right? I was, um, I, I became, I was brought up Catholic and, uh, I kind of, broke from the Catholic ways, uh, when I was in my early twenties. And, uh, then in 2012, I, you know, I rededicated my life as a Christian and accepted Jesus. And I know that may not align with everybody. I'm not here to push my faith or my beliefs. I don't feel called to do that just yet. You're good. Um, You're good. We're accepting, we're an accepting audience. Yeah. But the reason I mentioned that is because everything I'm about to say is going to be through my own spiritual discernment. Right. And meaning that like, it's, it's going to align with my, my beliefs as a, as a Christian. So take, I just put that at full disclosure, take that for, for what it is. And the way I look at past lives to me, regardless of my own beliefs is that real or imagined, it doesn't matter, right? Like if someone, cause I've had clients go back to a past life, even though, even though I don't intentionally facilitate it, I just have people go into what's called a spontaneous past life regression to me, I don't care if they were recalling an actual event that they experienced in a past life, or if that's just a meta- metaphorical representation of what we're dealing with. Because one, there's no way to really prove it, right? And two, it doesn't matter as long as we get the change, as long as that the client is happy with what came up. And so I kind of look at past lives the way I look at dreams in a lot of ways is like, a lot of dreams can be metaphorical representations of what we're dealing with based on the context of our lives, and our emotional state. I tend to believe that past lives can just be either um, uh, metaphorical representations that our subconscious mind creates just to kind of give us that representation or because I've gotten some crazy experiences with clients that we can talk about, or they are tapped into some sort of collective consciousness that I think we all are like an unlimited database where like maybe it wasn't their past life, but they're connecting into the energy of, of um, someone who had lived that experience. And so that's kind of the two different ways I look at these past lives. That's interesting because I've certainly, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is what started me on it was I did a meditation down in Brazil when I lived there and I did a meditation that took me into the Akashic records. And my thing was around this very specific porn addiction that I was doing. And it's kind of a brutal past life that I experienced, but to your point, Mm. I did this meditation I cultivated these feelings because, because at this point in my life, everything that was happening in my life was a reflection of some sort of trauma that had happened previously in my life. And when it came to this like very specific category of porn, there was nothing in my current life that I was like this pointed to. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like there's, there was no trauma in regards to this type of porn. And by going into the Akashic records, by having the experience that I had, it showed me what I would call a past life. And it showed me like this thing that happened to my wife and it was kind of barbaric. We don't really need to get into the specifics. Mm-hmm. If you guys <laughs> want to know about it, it's on the podcast. Just scroll back a little bit. <laughs> and what, 
what happened was I came out of that and I was like, holy shit. And I had the same exact reaction that you're kind of saying. I was like, did that actually happen to me as a soul in a past life? Or is my mind just creating this dream per se to tell me why I'm experiencing this, this porn addiction in this life? And that was kind of the question I kept asking myself. But what it really happened was, and what really was important was that once that happened, it basically reduced my porn usage by like 90% from this just one instance. And I didn't even realize that till like three weeks later. And that was like, holy shit. Like, you know, to your point, does it actually matter if this was like my soul's past life or something I experienced? And, you know, I guess that's supposedly up for debate, right? Like what's the utility of that? What's, and what's the utility of that? And, and it goes a little deeper and it's interesting how you're saying this, that it might be like this collection that we're tapping into and, and which is an interesting point, right? Because I've, I've seen stories of kids who have remembered being killed in the, in their past life and pointing out who did it and then finding like the murder weapon or kids who were in world war two and they crashed their plane and they like could remember all of these crazy details that were substantiated and verified. And so it, it, it is a really interesting point of, you know, it, is it actually my soul that was in this life? And then in this one, I mean, that's my running theory that I think I believe like the most, which is, you know, my soul was, it's interesting, right? Was my soul in that specific instance? I, I guess I can't say for sure, but it, it seems to me to make more sense, right? That that this this soul, my spirit, my soul, whatever it is about me that's eternal, that isn't attached to this physical form, that is able to connect to this higher thing. It it, it doesn't, I guess to me, it doesn't make sense that it would only be one life and then it's like, okay, we're cool. Like we're done. You know, it, to me, that's kind of where I'm like, you know, coming down into this physical form might have more lessons that we can learn than what can be taught on the other side. And it sounds like and you I might think, have, go ahead. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. I think I was just going to like lead you into this is that it sounds like you might believe a little bit more that, and please correct me if I'm wrong. You might believe <laughs> a little bit more that it, it's, it's more of just this connection to this, the cloud or like this big database of, of past law of all lives that have ever existed. Yeah. And I, I, two, two things I want to mention first are like the, we are meaning making machines right? We, at a very, you know, at a very core level, we're trying to make meaning of everything. And that's also a survival standpoint. Like, what does it mean for me to see that scary dog, right? What, you know, what is the, what does it mean for me to be in this context of my life where I'm broke and like upset and fearful, right? And so it also applies to like the metaphysical and like big picture meaning. Like we obviously all have a longing for meaning and we all have different interpretations on what meaning means. Like, do, is there some like universal meaning as far as like our souls, you know, progressing and evolving? Is it, you know, going to heaven and like, you know, accepting Jesus, right? And that's my model of the world and my belief system. And so no matter what your belief system is, we all have this underlying mechanism in us that's like longing for some sort of meaning. And so where we find that meaning, I think is largely um, a personal process, obviously, but in relation to everything being from the cloud, rather than maybe something from, you know, an actual past life is that also gets us in the conversation of like, what is time? 
right? It is time a thing, right? Because if, if depending on your, your beliefs about time, if all that exists is the here and now, then how can we even talk about a past life, right? Like even referring it to as a past life is referring to it as something that existed before us. And so I don't know. I don't even know where I just, that popped up and I'm like, I, that is the conversation I think you need to talk about first is like, what's our idea about time. And then we can decipher, well, is it possible that something has existed before us as far as like a soul perspective? No, that's a very, so this is, this is actually a very uh, important conversation. I think that needs to be had when this, when talking about these types of things, right. Is like, and I've, and I've, I've fucking broken my brain time and time again in regards to time and a few other things that we don't, well, we can talk about later, but specifically with time, right? Where I come at this is like from the idea of truce, right? That there's different truths that we all align with. And I can believe one thing and you can believe one thing, but that doesn't mean that they negate each other. Even if they're completely opposite in the physical form, that doesn't mean that they're both wrong. They can both still be true, even though they appear to negate each other. And that might be kind of a weird thing to say or even think about. So, <laughs> so to just, if that doesn't make sense, just put that to the side for now. <laughs> In the example of this time conversation, let's use that framework, which is at some level time exists, right? At, at some level, I be, I mean, you can easily say it's a human construct. It's a physical 3d reality element that we work with, which is time, Right. Anthony and I, you and I wouldn't be sitting down to have this conversation if there was no time at all, right? We wouldn't have said January 13th at this time, or we're going to jump onto this call, press record and create this podcast. So if we didn't even have that thing, you know, there could be an argument that we would tap into our mental ether to connect to each other and say, Hey, we should do it now. And like, we're both free. And it's like, Oh, sick. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we can record this right now. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I think there's an argument for that, but at some level, right? We have all collectively agreed that it is three o'clock on the East coast, two o'clock in the central. And you know, what would it be? Uh, I'm blanking here 12 in Pacific standard time. Right. So there is a level of truth that time exists. Now where it gets interesting though, is that I do believe like with what you were saying, a higher level truth is that everything is happening now everything outside of this present moment is a figment of our pat in the past, which would just be a memory or future, mm-hmm. which is just anticipation for what is about to come. Mm-hmm. Now to your point, once we leave this plane of existence, or if we even just kind of come out of it, if we have access to like, like the term past life, right. In my mind refers to something that happened before this, a life that happened before this present moment in our timeline continuum of whatever we're discussing. Mm -hmm. What I would say also, and this is where it gets interesting, is that if we do have these quote unquote past lives, we would also have access to future lives as well because it's all happening right now. Mm -hmm. Where I come at this from like a spiritual perspective and trying to find meaning and please shoot holes in this if you see them, Mm is the idea that there are some things that we're not allowed to see for if we saw them, it would impact our future trajectory and like the, the path that our life would take. So I do believe it is possible for people to see future lives or, but predominantly, right. Predominantly we would get fed past lives because it's already happened. It's already concrete. We can't really 
in our 3D reality, we don't think we can influence it, which I would argue through the work you can do right now, right? In this present moment, you can actually influence those past lives. You can make meaning out of it. You can uh, alter is a weird world, but you can definitely alter your perception of what happened to live a more harmonious life now. So I'm not sure where I was going. Oh, I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but that that's kind of the, to paint almost like this picture around the idea of time and, and past lives. That's kind of where my mind has compartmentalized all of these fa- facets. Yeah. I lo- uh, and I love the way you articulated that because once again, yeah, I hesitate to say what's true for you is true for you. I, I try to get a- actually out of that statement and I'm full disclosure primarily because, you know, from, from a Christian perspective, a biblical perspective or perspective, it's not right for me to say what's true for you is true for you. Like I'm technically supposed to rebuke things that are not of like biblical uh, teaching and and things accordance with that. But what you mentioned was that, you know, you can have a separate belief than me. It doesn't negate either. And so I think going back to like the idea of what past lives may or may not be, I actually lean more in the camp that it, that obviously the cloud um, perspective because of my personal experience with clients where I used at first I thought, okay, all past lives are metaphorical, like a dream. Like they're just, you know what, you know, they're dealing with alcoholism and I don't know, they're, they were in a past life where they were hit by a drunk driver. I don't know, whatever the past life is. And for some reason that was their subconscious representation of why they developed that program. But then what happened was I had one specific client who we were doing a normal process for like, I forget if it was like fear of public speaking or something like that and normal memory consolidation thing that I facilitate. And all of a sudden he's in like 200 BC China. And I'm like, okay. And he's describing to me like what he's wearing and things that like words, like that he wouldn't even know, you know, unless he was like a history major, which this person clearly was not a history major. And so that kind of changed my perspective. Like, okay, well now maybe it's not just a metaphorical representation. It's either like, like you believe is a past life, right? He actually lived that his soul of that, or there's this collective consciousness. And I think the reason I lean towards a collective consciousness or I know is because of obviously my, my beliefs and my, and my faith. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've even had telepathic experiences with clients before that I cannot explain. Um, and so I, it's, it's hard because I, op- it's funny because as a hypnotist, I operate outside of like some things that people would be like, you know, that's, that's evil. That's like demonic. That's like things that you shouldn't be doing. And also trying to like show people that no matter what your beliefs are, there's, there's nothing evil about even, even money's not evil, right? It's how you use it, how you use hypnosis, how you use channeling, how you use your body is all going to be an amplification of the good or the evil. So I just went on a little tangent there about, uh, belief systems. No, (laughs) no. And, and something I want to point out though, that you said, and this goes back to how we were saying that two truths can still be the same is that you mentioned that you think, or you, you kind of alluded to that it's in your mind, either past lives or it's a collective conscious in my belief i think they both exist i think that they can both be held true i think that both can have this uh, both can exist in the grand scheme of things right mm-hmm. i believe that there is like a human collective consciousness right where the the summation of all of human energies or frequencies 
surmount to a certain frequency. I, mm-hmm. I think it gets interesting. I guess then in your in your worldview, why would it be then that certain people are I don't want to say disadvantage disadvantage feels like a the wrong kind of like an activist word. We're kind of looking for more of a I guess you could kind of point to science. I'm trying to say like I don't want to really say slow learners, but they like have different attributes that make them good. Right. Or they have this, they don't see the bigger picture and some people do see the bigger picture. I'm not sure how to articulate that specifically. Does it kind of make sense what I'm getting at though? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you may be alluding to once again, the idea that, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience and we're somewhat bound by our physical nature and our capabilities and even from a brain-based perspective like some people have uh different tendencies and different uh programming that maybe someone leans more towards like nefarious evil tendencies and someone leaves towards more like what we classify as like morally good and righteous right is that kind of let's say more more of a understanding of energies right if mm-hmm. for for example like in my belief system i my my soul the way however my soul has been constructed and whether it's just that i've taken so many gambles on earth that i've lived so many lives that i am now understanding earth energies and it's why i've gotten to this place of spiritual alignment or enlightenment that i'm at now in this you know present moment wherever i'm at right now mm-hmm. and some people are not in tune with that at all what you know, my answer for that is, is just that either they haven't lived as many lives or they're not, you know, supposed to be spiritually inclined, inclined in this life. Like, how does that, how do you make meaning out of that within the way that you view the world? Does that kind of make a bit more sense? It, it, it does. Um, and my first inclination is to say, well, there's such a full spectrum of, um, uh, I don't know if evolution is the right word, but of evolution of consciousness for people, right? People are at so many different levels that it's, you can't classify, like, you know, you can't classify 10 different levels that someone has evolved to uh, on this plane and say like, okay, well, why is this person so much more evolved than this person? This person must, must have lived this many more, you know, you know, uh, lives and things like that. So I'm not quite sure how to articulate what I, what my answer to you other than the fact that I think that we are all just naturally born with certain neurological tendencies, physiological capabilities and abilities that were passed on genetically from our parents a lot of the times. And then also gets into the conversation of nature and nurture. Right. So I, I guess actually the way I would answer this is it's less about past lives that we've lived and past lives, not past lives, but like the lives of the people that came before us down our, 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 evolutionary tree you know genealogy wise gotcha this episode of traveling to consciousness is brought to you by revive cbd now i know what you're thinking another cbd product and typically i would completely agree with you i've gone through all my trials and tribulations with cbd products but this cbd cream is unlike anything else Honestly, I don't know what it is, but there's something in the technology of it that it helps absorb into your skin and actually get to the place that aches and soothes your muscles almost instantaneously. It's close to instant. It's probably about a five to 10 minute activation that I've noticed, but sometimes it goes a little bit quicker. And so I know it can be difficult for the find the right one.
one. And this was my personal favorite that I found after long enough. (laughs) I don't want to go back to that dark time, but I found it. It works amazing. And the creator of it is an incredible guy. So I highly recommend you click the sponsors link below, click on the revive CBD tab and get yours today. Revive CBD, feel better, live better, all premium, all natural CBD products. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Conscious Technologies, LLC. Talk about an aligned company name. This company creating technology that will revolutionize the way that humanity is able to resonate or vibrate with the electromagnetic frequency of your phone, of your Wi-Fi router, of the light bulbs in your house, of really anything. What they do is they have created these amazing minerals, amazing units that you can either place on the back of your phone, you can wear it as a necklace, or they even have like little in-house generators, if you will, that can unify the entire field of an entire house. I've experienced these things in person and I unequivocally can tell you that it does something and it helps you feel more present, more calm, and more connected to the spiritual dimension, if you will. And I highly recommend that you also check out episode number 034, where I actually talked to one of the co-founders and it blew my mind away. One of my favorite episodes where we actually get into how he creates it, why it's created. And, you know, if this wasn't enough of a sell for you, go check out that episode because I know that it will sell you after that. Conscious Technologies, LLC, harmonizing the planet one person at a time. So then is it almost... Hmm. We're getting we're getting way out there. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love I love this. <laughs> Good. We can get deeper, right? Because yeah. so in my in my worldview, right, my soul, which is 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 kind of doing this its dance, let's say, of actually choosing the life that it wants to live, the body it wants to incarnate in. It it chose this person, this humanoid Clayton, because of the opportunities that were going to come from the birth to seeing some sort of, you know, events that are going to happen in the future. And is like, okay, I'm going to be able to learn lessons here within this thing. But then it almost here's here's what it feels like to me. Okay. So here's okay, this is what I'm seeing the way that you're describing it, right. Is that there's this hierarchy. There's just like this giant ball of collective consciousness energy. And then below it is humans where, okay. Like, like almost strands of this energy, just inhabit one person. Every time one's created, it just like goes into it and then rejoins my worldview or my universal view is that there's actually a stage in between there, right? So that collective ball of consciousness and energy, I I would articulate that as being God. And then in Mm -hmm. between that, so God divvies itself out into these souls and into these spirits and energies. And some of them, let's say the souls actually incarnate into human form. And Mm -hmm. they're working off all these lessons and trying to understand things. And every single time that they incarnate there's there's a lesson to learn right mine we kind of talked about the beginning of this podcast patience and you know certain aspects of love and the energy of money understanding these things at a human form because they can't learn them they can learn them in the spiritual realm but it's easier to learn them if you incarnate on earth and so then you're kind of at this middle layer tier between soul and human soul and human 
until your work is done on the human realm. Then you go up to another level and it's this interesting thing of always trying to kind of get closer and rejoining with that God energy. Whereas in, in what I'm hearing from you and please articulate if this is different or wrong is that it's kind of just that ball energy in earth and that there's no almost middle ground between it. It's just, you're either a part or one with God or you're at earth. Is that, is that kind of, is that kind of how you see it or is it like a little bit different? Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to encapsulate um, what I'm saying. I, I just think that, every every piece of information that's ever existed energetically physically right exists right now right and the classic records yeah 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 so i you gotta roll your eyes you gotta roll your eyes i I, I didn't mean the only only reason i made something i roll my eyes is because i've never gone down that path i've I've, okay i know exactly what you're talking about it um but i do think that there is a if you will a record of everything that has ever happened and i just believe that we are all born equal right obviously based on different dna and things like that we all have once again different tendencies different physical capabilities etc some of us are going to be professional basketball players some of us have no shot at being professional basketball players but we all have the ability to tap into the information of whatever that collective consciousness is but and i think that's outside of god personally um but I don't know where, where I, I don't even know if what, what I'm saying now, I feel like I, I'm, uh, I'm going down an endless stream of consciousness here. That's not even making sense, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think, I think the distinction here is that we are placing meaning you and I right now on our different, um, worldview or universal view. And the question is what does it even matter? Right. Like, is there meaning like, you know, I, I don't know, like everybody wants to assign meaning to something, but maybe meaning is just what you make it. And maybe it's right. You maybe past life, past lives are a reality for you. Your whole, your beliefs is a reality for you because you believe it. It's your perception of the world. And that's going to, that's, what's going to manifest based on your perception and your beliefs and things like that. So I, in that sense, I do think it's real. What you're talking about is real. Just like I, as much as I believe in what I think is real. Right. For sure. And I think that goes without saying, okay. And so here might be the next step of it. And this might be why, because I've thought about this a lot, which is right. Like the why, like, why is it important? Why does it matter if, if we have past lives or we don't have past lives and where I've kind of got with it and why I, why I believe that I think it would be beneficial Here's the key, right? It would be, why would it be beneficial for people to operate with the beliefs of having past lives is because a part of this framework of understanding is that essentially the law of karma, what I, whatever I put out into the universe is going to come back to me. If I do something good, it's going to come back to me tenfold. If I do something bad, it's going to come back to me tenfold. It's going to come back to me worse. And so the reason I suppose, and this is probably one of those cornerstone reasons that I choose to believe in, I choose to believe in it. First of all, it's fun. It's fun as shit to think, oh, I, this isn't my first <laughs> life. Like I had a yeah. couple other ones. And so aside from that, I think that if more people, not more, it doesn't have to be more people, but if certain people, people who were in, in positions of power or positions of authority who thought like, this is the only life that I get to live. I don't know that they would be as tyrannical 
because then if you tell them like, yeah, you like you have a past life and you're going to have another life. So if you're tyrannical in this life, that means in the next life, you're going to have to get the other end of that stick. You're going to have to be imposed on. You're going to have to see what that's like to understand this energy at a different way. And so I think that's probably the core essence of why at the very least, I think it would be beneficial for society to view the world in a place of reincarnation. To what, to what end though? Right. What's the, like for me from, you know, and I, I, I don't think you and I need to keep qualifying or or saying our worldview, obviously, but like, obviously I believe that, you know, as a Christian who has accepted Jesus and I'm going to go to heaven, right. By, by grace and, and by faith alone. And that's the end goal, right? That for me, that's the ultimate goal, the result. And I'm I'm curious, what is what is the end result of your soul constantly evolving? Like what is there an end? Is there a goalpost? Is there, you know? I think experience. I mean, I think the yeah. core of it just comes down to experience. That's it's really a huge huge way I've lived my life. That's a big why that I have. Why do I want more money? To have more experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I see it as this why, you know, it so like you're saying, like if it's this whole experimental thing, I mean I don't know if this is in the Bible particularly, but I have a big belief that God divvied himself out into creating the earth, creating humans, creating all these planets and stuff is to experience himself. Because if you have this one singular energy source energy, let's call it. And it needs to like, you can't experience yourself. Like you need contrast. Right. And this ties people up sometimes, which is, you know, in order to have good, you have to have bad and evil. Like it's not a vacuum. If you get rid of evil, then like good doesn't exist in a sense. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you don't have a perception of being good if you don't know what evil is. I, I think mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot, which is you're basically weak and worthless if you haven't figured out your shadow or your evilness or your potential for being evil, right? Because if, yeah. if you just sit there and say, no, that's not me, I would never be evil, and I'm worth, then you're essentially saying that you're weak because it takes an element of being strong and empowered to realize like, oh shit, like, you know, learning jujitsu, for instance, if I didn't know jujitsu, I wouldn't actually know my capabilities for taking another person's life. And so if Mm -hmm. I don't know my abilities or the capability I have of taking someone else's life, then it doesn't make me competent to not be able to do it. What is what is a true sign of strength is to be able to take someone's life and not do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so why did I go down that rabbit hole? Oh, experience, uh, divvying yourself out, having an experience. Yeah. So my question was, what is the end result? Cause you mentioned that there's a, you believe there's a benefit to having your soul or souls or past lives go through these different lives to evolve and to learn lessons. And I said, to what end, right? Like what, okay, you've learned how many lessons do you need to learn? What, what is the state or what is the, where do you go? What is the process once that you've reached the ultimate level of awareness and like, you know, learning? Yeah. I mean, it's not, (laughs) I guess the sexiest answer, but I guess (laughs) the way I see it is, you know, you, I guess the whole process, if I was to condense it down, would just be, you know, every soul splits off from God source energy 
it incarnates, and this isn't all energy, by the way. I think that there's probably some spirits that go to a lower dimensional frequency. Some never incarnate at all. But for our sake of human sake, you, you were a soul that split off from source energy. You incarnate to learn lessons, to burn off karma, to understand yourself deeper. Maybe that's a part of it, to understand yourself deeper at a deeper level. Because then as you understand yourself at a deeper level, you can kind of climb through the ranks. And again, I don't know if this is for everybody, but then you get to a certain point where maybe you become an ascended master and you help other people, right? Like everyone has spirit guides and people watching over them. And so you come to this place of being a spirit guide where then you're able to assist other people as they go through their earthly process to help them ascend and learn lessons. And then over time, at some point, you hit this certain level of enlightenment where you just basically return to source energy or basically become reunified with God in a sense that, you know, he now has that information from your, you know, your, your, from your soul or that, that, that pure energy of like, okay, now I have all the information of what, you know, Clayton did in his 200 whatever lives. And then what he did as a spirit. And, and then he's able to learn and become a more, developed individualized source of energy from there after that that's where it gets tricky i don't know what happens with with what god does with all that energy yeah and i and i think you definitely just landed that plane well because you you mentioned like okay going to back to the source right back to maybe a state whatever you want to call a state of enlightenment or 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 whatnot so i that is putting a definitive result on it um and and i think it's it's similar i mean similar to the fact of like people who believe in heaven right going to heaven and and kind of doing living out their mission on earth and ascending and and with god and and jesus and being in, in in the state of heaven so i think i think a lot of this what we're talking about is like once i like i said before i operate at the crossroads of all of this because I think as you look into what you're talking about, as you look into even the Bible and Christianity, as you look into the science and the neurology, you find that so much of it overlaps more than you could possibly imagine. For sure. Right? And we don't, I don't even think we have the ability to understand all of it yet. And even if you want to talk about God for a second, like the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, because we don't even have the ability to understand or conceptualize what God is, right? The Bible says he, and people get caught up with this idea that like, oh, he's some guy in the sky. I'm not going to believe in some guy in the sky. No, that's not what, that's not what or who God is, right? And even the Bible, God is love, for example, like if you want to get down that route of like God is love and energy of love, and that's how he manifests in, in this experience that we have. Um, but my, my point is, is that everything overlaps that we're talking about, even if it sounds like, you know, people listening, like it sounds a bit like you and I are disagreeing or maybe it's two different schools of thought. Like it may seem like that at a surface level, but as you start researching this and I'm sure you already, I'm like speaking to, you know, the, the preacher of it all right here, right? Like you already know that um, everything we're talking about is like just a, it's just like, it's not even a puzzle piece. It's like all the same pieces that are just like represented and, and interpreted differently. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think it's fun at a certain level, right? Because that's another level mm-hmm. of this is, you know, going back to how you feel and like what makes you feel good. Like, I mean, at some level, just believing everything that I've kind of laid out here just feels good. It feels right. So why, 
you know, at some level, it's like if it makes you feel more at peace in this human incarnation, then why not go for it? You know, hypothetically, what if the lights go out and then there's nothing? Like, like to to even feel that in my body, it's like it, it doesn't want to believe that. Like, there's no like even if that's true. And <laughs> here's where it gets interesting, right? Is like even if that's the truth. Is that what I would actually want to propagate if I was here on earth? Like you just lights go out and it's nothing like that sounds terrible. Then you want to talk about meaning, then there's absolutely no meaning involved in that whatsoever. And, you know, I I feel like that's a pretty dismal or rough place to be or to even imagine the world itself. Yeah. And I, here's the thing about death is like, no one's experienced it and lived to tell the tale. Right. I mean, you can get into the conversation about near death experiences and people who have come back um, from the dead, but in general, I I think it's very difficult for us as a human species to even, you know, not only conceptualize God, what that means, but also conceptualize the finality of uh, not finality, but like death in and of itself, what that means. Sure. We experience the grief when someone passes, Right. But until you actually experience dying yourself, you have no idea what that process is going to be like. Right. Other than other than like, once again, reports and anecdotal evidence and stories that have been passed on. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense. I always kind of take it to a place of thinking about death as a moment to moment type deal. I, I kind of I usually get to a place where I when people talk about death, I mean, you know, we we, we technically always go straight to the physical body dying, but if you're truly dying, if you're truly getting to this place of enlightenment, you're dying, you're like, you're shedding layers of who you are and dying every single day of your life. And arguably you're dying moment to moment. The person who I was five minutes ago is not the same exact person who I am now certainly not the same person before we started that con- this conversation as I am now. So, and that's just a constant process of not attaching to a certain idea or belief. Cause if I was attached to my ideas and beliefs, this would get, this would get ugly very quickly. You know, it would become very confrontational conversation. And so the ability to allow your previous identity to die, I think is a, huge piece of the puzzle that we kind of overlook it's like oh death only happens whenever our physical body dies and then you know then we have this whole conversation what happens after and in my opinion it's it's like nah like death is happening right now right now right now it just comes down to how much you're attached to that last moment or that last relationship or that last dollar you made and the quicker you can actually die and burn off what's no longer serving you the quicker you can kind of evolve and move towards that next thing. Yeah. And I, going back to the idea that like, we don't yet, I don't think we yet have the faculties or or the resources to really understand what it even means to die, whether it's on a now to now basis or from a physical perspective, what happens after we leave this physical body, We, we just, it'd be like, it'd be like explaining to a blind person what the color purple looks like. Right. There's no, there's nothing we could say to truly get them to understand or see the color purple. Right. And so I think I look at a lot of what we're talking about like that is like we have, we get little hints of it, right. Little breadcrumbs of experience and emotion and feeling and intuition that like leads us into like, oh, this feels right. That gives us insight into what happens and what might happen. 
but until we get there, right? I know, I know you're you're saying that we're there now, like we're constantly dying. But I mean, like the t- the time that we depart from this physical body, I think is what most people would classify as like the the dying process from like obviously a physical standpoint. And once again, I just don't think we even we we can't even comprehend what's going to happen beyond beyond this, right? We're trying to see the couple color purple and we're blind right now, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it's uh it's an interesting point. Cause I think we're limited by our senses of perception. We're limited by our, you know, they call it the veil of forgetting. Whenever you're born, you kind of forget everything so that you can kind of just, you know, come into this a blank slate, mm-hmm. at least from my line of thinking yeah. and belief. And so the interesting thing that that creates or that, that propagates, uh, blanked a little bit there dying leaving sense perception there's something there uh i need some water (laughs) no but you know it's such an interesting concept to even consider the fact that anything beyond the meaning that we make is 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 almost is almost trivial because like I try to think how to say this. So you mentioned before that, like, well, you think, well, because you, and I'm not, I'm not attacking or challenging, but you said something about like, oh, well, I feel like this is right. Right. I feel like this just feels right to me. If that were, if that were how everything was supposed to be, I would argue to say that, well, a serial killer feels that it's right to go kill and they, and they get off on that and they feel enlightened. They feel some like, you know, euphoric experience sure. when they're doing that. So how do you, how do you, how do you kind of weigh that against what we would kind of classify as like feelings that lead to negative quote unquote, negative evil things that make the individual feel good and feel right. And then the people that, you know, we would classify as morally good who get off on feeling like helping others and being altruistic and things like that. Yeah, this is this is a question that's actually kind of gotten me in trouble before. And it's a difficult one to kind of approach the best answer that I can come up with is that it's something. It's something that they signed up to explore. There's a couple ways to look at it, right? Number one is it's either something that the people involved in this thing let's use a serial killer because there's multiple people involved in it is that they signed up to experience this thing for some sort of reason or it was bad planning in the you know in the spirit realm before they got here it was bad planning and you know whether the dynamics that were set up whether the trauma that their parents put on them whether this whole thing like it, it somehow didn't shake out and so uh this occurred because of some sort of either misplanning before the life was created or there's a lesson even in those terrible things right there's terrible things that we see occur and i think that it's it's difficult right because even you know something i'm thinking about to be reminded of here is that i do not speak on behalf and i don't want to come across as speaking on the behalf of other people, other spirits, you know, line of figuring out their shit or figuring out the lessons they Mm -hmm. need to learn. What I do believe is that it, it sets up some lives to reoccur in the future where 
maybe if that person killed three or four people that then they are going to have to come back and serve that soul in another life, you know, like say I mm-hmm. kill you in this life, then maybe mm-hmm. I come back and we reincarnate as a, a, some sort of master and slave where I'm your slave for some reason. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there's extra lessons in there that we both need to learn. And I want to be very clear about this. Cause this is kind of where I get in trouble. Cause people are like, Oh, you're validating <laughs> serial killers and rapists and slavery. Yeah. No, because here's where it gets interesting is that if I see somebody in the act of you know, being sexually assaulted or being, you know, raped or whatever, it is 100% in my human psyche and person and persona to actually step in and intervene to stop that from occurring. That is very Mm -hmm. much something that I am still responsible for doing. And it gets interesting, right? Because it's like, you know, slavery is still a thing today in the, in the middle East and in Africa. And it's like, you know, the question becomes is like how much, effort can I actually put into solving that crisis, right? My typical thing to say is that I need to be the best person I can be because the butterfly effect occurs whenever I step into my greatest alignment that the people around me step into their greatest alignment and that's going to propagate itself out and eventually get to the Middle East and Africa. Now, with that being said, there are some people's callings who are to actually go and investigate the trafficking that occurs in other countries and report back on that and and see it. But it's just, that's not something that's in my life's purpose because of whatever planning occurred before stepping into this incarnation, whatever the planning was, it's to actually speak about this. Maybe it was to actually get <laughs> verbally assaulted <laughs> by people for having that idea, you know? <laughs> so again, it kind of, that's kind of the interwoven nature of how I've seen it. And I mean, you know, it it might, this part might sound a little, you know, self-loathing, but it's, it feels right. It it feels like it's kind of the best thing that I can do in this situation. Like I can't go fly into the middle East. Like, don't get me wrong. If I could buy a plane ticket to the middle East and do my thing over there and just free all the slaves, I absolutely would do that. No questions asked. But when it comes to how complex those things are, you know, I, I likely would end up getting myself killed before doing any good over there. And so if I get myself killed and I'm not propagating my voice out into this podcast, which feels so much more in alignment with my mission, then, you know, I'm doing more of a disservice in that lens than if I were to actually just stay here and speak my truth about how. I think that to change the world, you need to change yourself and to be that butterfly in the butterfly effect. So let me ask you this then. If we're talking about past lives and the life that we're living now is a purpose or has a purpose to help us learn a lesson, then what agency do we have over this current life? How do you mean by what agency? Like free will? So, so. Uh, well, for example, let's say the, um, uh, the person who is an alcoholic is an alcoholic because of something that happened in the past life, whatever the past life is or past lives that led to them having to deal with alcoholism. Now let's say that person decides to then not be an alcoholic and decides to do the change work, decides to do, you know, take control of their life, do hypnosis, do these subconscious works. And they come out of that and no longer an alcoholic, does that mean that they've lived the lesson and learned the lesson based on their current life and that 
they didn't have any free will or agency to choose to get out of that circumstance, even though they were in that circumstance to learn a lesson. I, I don't know if I'm articulating my question correctly, but does that, does that resonate a little bit? I mean, I would say that they always had that free will. Like it's still your decision if you wish to actually get out of like the alcoholism. Like, I think that's like, a, mm-hmm. I think that's embedded in all of us. I, I think what you might be touching on is, and I don't really know where I fall on this, but from like mm-hmm. what sounds appropriate and what seems to be legitimate with my world experiences and what other people have reported is that there are certain life events that we've signed up for before coming into this incarnation that are going to happen no matter what you choose. But it's important for us to experience those, like you're saying, to work off that karmic debt and something that I experienced another past life that I remembered. And this came about whenever I had this huge explosion on TikTok of, you know, amassing a crazy number of followers very quickly was that I actually had a past life as a golfer and I became super famous, super quick. And I ended up killing myself because of this feeling of, you know, scrutiny from public opinion and being, you know, this, this figure, I don't have all the details of it, but that was the core concept is, you know, you're now getting put back into this spotlight again of rapid accession for you to feel this energy of what it feels like again. And to see if you actually are going to make the same decision as you made before, which is obviously an easy decision, but it's like, oh shit. And and again, just like the porn situation, once I had that knowledge of that past life where I killed myself and now I am taking a different direction, I'm, you know, switching the energetic frequency of my soul and my being. Now, with that being said, I think the universe is still, it still tests me. It happened again on Instagram with this huge explosion mm-hmm. of followers. It still tested me with the, you know, people coming at me saying, um, you know, the devil, demons, yada, 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 mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but even in your, you know, alcoholic situation, I'm sure that person is still going to be you know, shown, you know, alcohol, I'm sure it's going to still come up in their peripheral <laughs> and they always have the decision, you know, do I, do I take a drink or do I not? You know, I always have the decision, you know, as a little bit more morbid as it's going to sound, do I kill myself or do I actually try to listen to this energy and embody it and, you know, take on this, this energy that I can in this life, because maybe the dominoes were set up poorly in the the last life that it occurred. And now they're set up in a more aligned place, but you know, that's kind of the, the way that I've, 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 I guess, seen it play out in my own life. And I'm inclined to go back to the idea that a lot of it's based on the expectation and your belief system that's creating the, the reality. What I mean by that is from talking about hypnosis, when I get into a session with somebody, it's my job to set an expectation first and then operate in the confines of that expectation to get the expected result. Uh, an example of this is we talk about street hypnosis. We open the podcast um, talking about people doing hypnosis for entertainment. A lot of people look at that. They, they, they come to me or another hypnotist who's helping them you know, get over anxiety. And like, well, what are you going to do? Make me bark like a dog? <laughs> no, because that's not the expectation. The expectation is for us to help get through this anxiety and change that programming, right? Figure out where that came from and, and help you change. If I tell you to bark like a dog in a one-on-one session and the expectation wasn't for you to entertain, you will just open your eyes and think I'm crazy because I didn't set the right expectation. And so 
my point is, is when people go up on stage to do funny things, that's the expectation. They go to that stage show to, to either be entertained or to be part of the entertainment so that their subconscious mind, their brain aligns their actions with that expectation and aligns their reality with that expectation. So if the expectation is that, well, you know, I've lived past lives and these are the meanings and past lives are a thing. Like if you go into it and you know anything about past lives, you are going to be predisposed to the expectation that, you know what, we might have past lives. And that's the experience is going to come up in, in a session, right? That being said, I think the best test, and, I, and this may have been in those books that we were talking about by those authors, Dolores and, and people like that, is take someone who's never heard of past lives before, ever like has no, you know, preconceived notion, has no idea that past lives are your thing, then hypnotize them without setting an expectation of a past life, which is very difficult to do as a practitioner because you have to use, as I'm sure you're aware of, you use certain language to elicit the experience of going to a past life. So the question is, are we able to get to a past life without pre-framing or setting the expectation that there are past lives? I think that would help pointing out the validity of it. I'm I'm all on board with that 100%. Like if we can make that happen, I think the the difficult part you run into is the fact that I don't know how you do that though. Right? You'd have to train a hypnos hypnotherapist. I mean, I guess like in their books, they kind of allude that they kind of stumbled upon. They talk about how they kind of just stumbled upon these past lives and then people kind of just started like to regurgitate the same thing. But it comes down to like the observer effect and the placebo effect. The fact that this hip hypnotist, you know, saw it happen, you know, they want to push the envelope a little further and kind of dive into it. So, you know, it's it's interesting because though the the issue, I suppose, with that is that you have to have just one hypnotist who has never experienced that before. But then once they experience something like that, they can no longer be a part of that study. Because that seems to me how Dolores Cannon and Michael Newton both, both came across this was that they accidentally, at least that's how it's framed, is that they accidentally fell into these past lives and were like, what the hell am I experiencing? And then they've even, it's weird because they even see that with different things that their clients experience in that life between life state, in that soul state, where they, they tell them about things that they didn't even know about and they kind of just like sit there and kind of encourage them to keep talking about it. And they're like, holy shit, I didn't know this existed. And then they regress someone else into a hypnotic state and they stumble across the same thing again. So I, I don't know, man, I, it's a really, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing that I'm not sure how you set up a, an experiment like that. I think, I think it's probably damn near impossible because let's say, let's say I was were to hypnotize you right now and you've never heard of past lives before. I didn't set it up and I just got you into a state of hypnosis in order to get you into a past life. I'd have to use, you know, language. I'd have to communicate with you to guide you and give you instructions to go to that past life. And so once we got, most likely we could get to a past life, but then the, once again, the question is, well, is it because I set the expectation for you to imagine going to a past life that now there, there's some representation of a past life that comes up? Right. And then we have to ask, well, is the information that they're giving us that they we think they couldn't possibly have known? Did they read it in a history book sometime in their childhood and their brain has access to it? Is it the collection collective consciousness? And so I, I sound a little cynical here because I know I'm sure you're aware of this, too, is like 
even if it's unintentional as content creators, as you know, I, I wrote a book. I haven't even published it yet. I mean, it's on Amazon and I'm not saying that to pitch it. I'm saying it to, I don't even like it. I don't even promote it because I don't even like what I wrote <laughs> um, to be quite honest. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is that is like, we're constantly curating, right. As content creators, as authors, as, as helpers. And I don't always think it's a nefarious purpose or, or ill intention to say, you know, we're only going to curate and provide information that aligns with this specific um, idea, but I think it's a byproduct of, of what happens to simplify that someone's writing a book about past lives, right? They're going to include every story that aligns with their philosophy on past lives. It's the same thing. Like you're, you know, as, as someone, if you produce a product or a service, you're going to put out every great result that you got somebody, you know, inside your business or inside your service. So once again, I'm not trying to sound cynical. I just, I'm, I think what's happening is I'm I'm triggering the skeptical program inside it right now, right? Like, oh yeah, I feel that for sure. Running. No, but it's healthy. Yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah. it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe we need to like talk about something practical to like ground me again and <laughs> <laughs> work our way back into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's I mean it's a it's an interesting. Thing. Well, what about skepticism? We can jump into skepticism, right? Because I, I believe that there is a healthy balance of skepticism and skepticism is kind of what led me to that very first experience in Brazil whenever I accessed the Akashic records. But it's funny because in your, even your thing, like, you know, I listened to a guided meditation that very first time and it was like guided meditation to take you into the Akashic realm. And I was scared. I, like, I, I saw it as just this collective, like unified field or energy ball of, of all knowledge ever. And so I was like, okay, cool. But then even in a part of that, you know, they say, here's a book, this is the history of your soul. You know, what do you see on the first page? And that was actually what took me back to a, a past life where like kind of all those downloads came in. So I'd have to re-listen to it to know if they actually hinted at this being a past life of mine. I think they said the history of your soul. So I'm not very sure. I mean, that was when I was the most skeptical. Do you think there would be a way though to kind of go across. But did you already know about past lives? Did you already know about past lives when you went into that? <sighs> I'm sure that I had heard of it before. I'm sure I heard the idea before, mm -hmm. but I do, I can't say for sure that I fully believed it at the time. That's what I would say for sure. So I guess, do you think there's a way that you could almost go into it anti-skeptical and disprove the existence of past lives. Like, I don't know how you would be able to hypnotize someone and then ask them in a, you know, biased way against the existence of past lives and then have them sit there and be like, no, this was definitely my own past life. Like this definitely, you know, existed in my own past life. Like, do you think there's a way to set up an experiment like that? I don't think so because even from like uh, a practical standpoint, as far as, you know, I work with clients who even just normal regression, right? We go back to a time from their childhood. Some clients will recall a memory that didn't even happen to them. It happened to a sibling, but they swear that it happened to them. That was their reality. That's how their brain and their subconscious mind integrated that information that, you know what? Um, oh yeah, my, my dad hit me as a kid. And it turns out, no, the dad never hit her, hit her brother, 
And, but she saw that and her brain took it, took that on. And that's just, that's just one example. And so once again, real or imagined, I don't think it matters. Right. And I, I even say that even when I do regression with clients that's not involved in past lives, I even say the memories that come up, I can't speak to the validity of them. And it doesn't matter because once again, real or imagined, whatever your brain, whatever your subconscious mind is producing, that's where we need to go. And once again, in my 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 practical programming is getting triggered here. That's probably why I'm trying to interject some uh, some neurological things here. But like from a brain page perspective, every time you recall a memory, it changes at a neurological level, like at a very like incremental, like very small, minute level. And so the saying is like the best way to recall a memory most accurately is to not recall it at all. And so the less you recall something, because what happens is when you think about it, if I had you think about something that happened a specific moment in your childhood right now, you'd be thinking about it through the filter of who you are today, right? Everything, every experience has happened up until this moment, where if I ask you to recall it a week from now or five years from now, it's then going to be remembered through the filter of everything you've experienced up until that point and who you are at that moment. So your memories are elastic and they change and the perception isn't always accurate as far as like, if you want to classify reality of what actually happened. Yeah. I mean that, that for sure, you know, I'm, I'm all on board on that. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I mean, I guess then the question becomes though, are you remember, are you remembering that because of some sort of physical entanglement between your body and your soul that you need to think that this happened to you or like once you get back to your soul level you'll be able to look back on your life and then be like oh no that did actually happen to my brother and not me so i don't you know to me i don't know i'm just kind of proposing it as a hypothetical that maybe the body is somehow the physical organism is somehow imposing that it was you instead of them but then once you transcend it, you get this like more ultimate state of truth or a higher level of experience. I don't know. So I, one thing I don't think we've talked about is the idea of like chance and probability, right? I am I am a believer that everything happens for a reason. And a ca- not I don't know if it's a caveat, but what I always tell people, one of the best beliefs you can develop, I tell every single person that I ever work with is the belief that everything happens for a reason. Because once again, real or imagined, whether or not that's true, it's either A, going to be true and everything does happen for a reason, or B, it doesn't happen for a reason, but you believe it does. And it allows you to just like go of all the shit that doesn't matter anyways. And so I think, uh, I think the question, like, like, I would love to hear your, your opinion on like chance and probability, because then that would say like, well, yeah, someone gets hit by a car. Was that a lesson they were learning? Or was that just chance? Cause they stepped out in traffic, you know? Yeah. The first thing that's coming to mind is, and this is kind of probably pretty in line with what we're talking about. There's a Mac Miller quote, rest in peace where he kind of, mm-hmm. I'm going to butcher it, but he mentioned something along the lines of uh, like, you know, I believe in God because what if I don't? And then he's there something like that. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, if we're going to like, what are your options to believe after death? Right? Like, and I think it's kind of a funny way to look at it. Right. It's like when we die, either something happens or it doesn't happen. And so if something doesn't happen, right? Like hypothetically, let's say that we're completely off both of us and nothing happens. (laughs) Right. Well, the fact that we lived our lives assuming that something would happen is a better 
chance and a better probability or a better outlook on life than the alternative of saying, no, nothing's not going to happen after, after death, like nothing. And then you get there and you realize like, oh, now you're face to face with God and you're like, oh shit. (laughs) You know, you just live this whole life out of alignment because you thought nothing was going to happen. So it's like, you know, what's the higher probability that something is going to happen? And even more so to that, it gets into this idea of like kind of almost the quantum realm, but definitely multiple timelines of what is going to happen, right? The probability Mm -hmm. that something will exist. And this is something that I've started to come in a little bit more contact with in regards to people who get prophetic dreams. And I've actually kind of started getting some, I don't trust myself enough. I don't trust myself. (laughs) I trust myself. (laughs) There it comes up again. The whole trust fucking thing. Uh, I, I trust myself that they are prophetic, but I, I am not sure the probability that's attached to them. Right. So you can have a, a, a dream or a vision of something that is going to happen. Now the question becomes the probability of it actually occurring. And what's interesting is that the further you go out in the future, the less chance you have. Like I've seen this a lot with sports recently, which I think is crazy where specifically in football, where before the right, as the ball is being snapped, I know like what's going to happen. And I have said it out a couple times, like, this person touchdown to this person or interception or pick six. Like it's gotten a little crazy just to myself where I've actually been able to see about 10 to 15 seconds into the future. Now where this, and I, and I try to say that as humbly as possible. I, I want to mm-hmm. try to remove as much ego from that as I can, mm-hmm. where it gets interesting, right. Is like bigger picture items, you know, seeing things that are like, like saying, you know, who the next president is going to be or two presidents in the future. And, there's a probability now associated with that. It's not a 100% chance that Biden's going to win in two years. What is it? Two years, a year and a half, I guess, technically. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And about a, wait, they're voting in November, right? Is that this 2020, no, uh, 2024. Year, 2024. Yeah, yeah. They vote in 2024. Mm-hmm. So in two years, there's a slight probability. There's some sort of probability that exists that it's Biden. There's a slight probability that it's Trump. There's a probability it's someone else. And, and so there's an element of being able to see into the future of it just being a field of probability and an element of that is which one are we going to align with? And there's a mixture of the actions that you take, taking that probability and the actions that you don't take. And this is perfectly illustrated in the matrix in the very first scene where, or not the very first scene, but the first time that mm-hmm. uh, Neo meets the Oracle when the Oracle's like, don't worry about that vase. And he's like, what vase? And then he knocks over the vase and he's like, oh, my bad. And she's like, didn't I tell you to not worry about it? And they kind of go on talking and she's like, well, now where your mind's going to break is, would you have actually knocked over the vase had I not said anything? And so the whole thing is, is, you know, certain things like, like there's a probability of something happening right now that anything you could think of could happen right now is a probability but the potential that it actually occurs is dependent on the actions you take now that you know that this thing actually exists. So there's this level of how much can you actually know? And if, even if I told you, I said, Hey, Anthony, tomorrow you're going to be a billionaire. Now, did I just completely ruin the probability of that happening? Because I told you, (laughs) like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so it gets like kind of fuzzy in the idea of probability and, and quantum space. And so that's kind of where I sit on the, 
idea of timelines and probability from that point of view. So then, so then the question is, can something happen by chance without any meaning behind it? Cause I, I think, I think what kind of what I'm, uh, what I'm getting at is the idea of like, let's say we're learning lessons over these lives and every situation, everything that happens to us is designed or predetermined to, to help us learn and to evolve in that space. Can we still experience just chance just to experience chance? So chance is an interesting word because it invokes the idea that there is no, in my opinion, maybe you don't mean it like this. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it invokes the idea that there is no cause and effect. I believe that everything in the entire fabric of this universe is based in cause and effect. And this is why I always choose the word synchronicity over coincidences. I, I think when people use the word coincidences, it invokes that element of luck or chance when mm -hmm. I believe in synchronicities, which means that everything happens for a specific reason, right? You can go back any which way. Um, and I can't really think of an example off the top of my head, but say you're driving down the road and you get hit by a car, right? You're, you're walking across the street, you get hit by a car. Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, it's not just random chance, right? Maybe you didn't look across the street. Maybe you were in a hurry. Maybe the other person was a drunk driver and I'm assigning maybes to these, but there is a, there are physical things that occur and mechanisms that occur that end up intersecting those things to happen where I take a step back and say, well, you have the ability to increase the probability that certain things are going to occur in your life based on things like hypnosis, your subconscious programming, mm -hmm. the things you design and want to be true, right? Like if, like, you know, we can sit here and say that, you know, we designed in this life beforehand in our soul's blueprint that you're going to get married and have kids. Now, if some shit happens in this life and you keep embedding it in your subconscious mind that you are going to be single, then you are never going to have kids. Then you're going to play out those patterns in which you just won't. And then maybe you get to the other side and you're like, fuck, I forgot that I really wanted to have kids in that life. <laughs> and then that's where I believe that you then can sign up for your next life. And then you can try to set your life up in the next life to have a higher probability of having kids. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that kind of put a good um, uh, bookend to the idea of like the path of the the past lives and future lives and things like that. And the fact that you said that um, even if this li current life doesn't fulfill the purpose that we're set for in this specific life, we get another opportunity to fulfill that purpose or learn the lesson in, a, in another life. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure okay, there's going to cool. be like attached a whole bunch of different lessons. Right. Because like, you know, in this life, it's like patience, trust, you know, love, you know, unconditional love, which I'm sure unconditional mm -hmm. love is probably something of everybody. But the point is, is that like, you know, maybe those lessons are kind of removed and then it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we got some other lessons we're going to learn. So let's sprinkle those in and then also add in having a kid and family. So what's next for you as far as your journey that's ha been happening? Because I know you kind of talked about, you know, what you're doing now, your purpose. And, and actually I, I, I was thinking about this before is like, I talked to a lot of people about purpose and I'm wondering what your idea of like 
purposes from and i'm trying not to set up like my own bias and and reframe it sure and so yeah i'd be interested to hear what you believe about purpose in life i feel like i'm on the anthony serena show i love it (laughs) (laughs) i feel like too many people come on podcasts and like they're just talking about themselves and like their own and like i i i I appreciate do this you do this to have people but i also like i love hearing your your side of things i appreciate it yeah. I know your listeners are probably they're like, I want to hear more of Clay, right? Like <laughs> uh, that's something I was actually gonna start reintegrating was like doing this like catch up episode type stuff, but that's a whole different whole different segment. But yeah, uh, what's my purpose? Man, see that's the thing, right? And I I have grandiose visions. I have visions of hopefully taking over Joe Rogan as the biggest podcast ever, making it onto Joe Rogan's, you know having a family, having kids, having a beautiful wife, traveling the world, having multiple houses. And the thing is, is that I, I get so caught up in these visions and, and this is kind of what we talk about is like, I have this deep knowing of all of those things that I just laid out. I have this inner knowing and this feeling of them being such a high probability of occurring in this physical reality that it, it, it irritates me. Right. And this is where it gets interesting is it irritates me. And it's like, fuck, like, why is that not now? Why am I not experiencing that right now? And this is where it invokes that patience and learn to be patient. And it always kind of reminds me and what I'm trying to get better at is reminding myself that this present moment is what's important. Feeling joyous now is, is why, right? Like, like what's the core reason of wanting to have the biggest podcast in the world? And of course there's a reason of ego and, and and social status, but it's also that I truly believe that my message, these words, these conversations are so impactful and so important for people to hear that I want everybody to hear them. You know, you know, I want to go and talk to Joe because I feel like that's the cool dude had is up to like almost 19 over 1900 podcast episodes. Like I I just like to me, having that many conversations has to make you just so emotionally intelligent and just aware of other people that I, I feel like it would, it will be, let's put that in there. will be the greatest podcast he ever does, but you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) but I think it all comes back to just, you know, what is, what's making me feel joyous in this present moment, staying grateful in this present moment, what is a way that I can be of service and help other people in this present moment at my present capacity? I've recently been getting pulled that I need to start doing some sort of coaching to help other people. That's what's been kind of like fueling me a bit. And I have taken a couple steps towards it. So that's what I've been feeling pulled towards. I mean, I just love talking to people, man. Like if I can make, you know, maybe 200 grand a year, just doing podcasting, like, I think mm-hmm. my life would be complete at that. And then of course, once I hit 200 K, I'm sure I'd want more money after that, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, you know, having long form conversations would, is really, you know, the, the thing that I want to be able to support. And so I really do need to figure out that, that element of money to kind of come in and actually really be the foundation of that bedrock and really support, you know, this vision. And, you know, it's maybe something that just takes time. Cause I see myself doing this for 10 plus years. So you know, I'd be here for the long haul. So I have, I have a big question for you. Go for it. <laughs> Let's say it's 20 years from now and you haven't accomplished any of that. What would that say about you? What would that say about me? I 
I would at least hope that I'm still doing it because I love it and not because I want those material things to be the outcome of doing it. That's what I would hope. And I guess I don't really see a timetable on it because I truly believe like when, whether it's subconscious or not consciously, I believe that when things are supposed to happen, they happen when they need to happen for like our highest self for our, you know, optimal timeline for, you know, because if I was given that right now, I might squander that opportunity. I might put my foot in my mouth. I might say some dumb shit that I'm still learning and starting to like kind of smooth out, you know, kind of like the whole thing that we talked about earlier with whenever it came into like other people, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, 500 people saying this to you, like, you know, uh, you know, putting you in this place yeah. of disparagement. But if it's 500,000 or 5 million, you know, that's a whole different energetic alignment of getting into and processing. So, I mean, I, you know, to get back to the question, I really just hope I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. And, you know, maybe those big visions are just that motivation I need to just keep me on that path. And, mm. you know, I, as long as Joe's still around in 20 years, you know, I, I guess I don't see any reason he's not, <laughs> but you know, that would just be, you know, if he kind of, that would kind of be what I think it would suck if he ever stopped doing it. And then, you know, you kind of like miss your window, but I don't know. He seems like he's going to be going for at least another 20, 30 years. So well, I think I just heard him say recently was like, even if he, all the money, all the sponsorships were gone, he would still just be podcasting I love forever. That. And I, and I, yeah, I love that too. And I think what just came to mind first, I was thinking about, this is an important thing about manifesting. I know we kind of mentioned that before it being a buzzword, but even whatever people believe about manifesting, just goal achieving you getting on Joe Rogan. The fact that you're talking about it right now is doing so much more for that specific like result than you could possibly imagine. And I, and I try to get people to really understand this is it is so important to not only use your voice, right. To affect the 3d world. Cause after all our voice is a vibration and we are literally using our voice to create a vibration that extends out into the future. Like we're literally affecting the 3d world. And I don't care if people think that's esoteric or not. Right. That's it's, it's actually happening. And yeah. Quantum physics proves that. Is, Sorry, but keep going. Yeah. And also the fact that you just are mentioning being on Joe Rogan podcast, you don't know who's going to watch this and then says, Hey, I want, and I'm not saying this specific episode, it could be any episode. It could be your content on TikTok, Right. And Oh, that guy said they wanted to be on Joe Rogan. He would actually be a good guest or whatever, you know? And so many people are hesitant to put their manifestations or goals out there and they're doing themselves a disservice. And I think it's actually a common through line that's perpetuated by, you know, the guys like Neville Goddard and things like that. These are some of the places that I actually disagree with these people on is they say, tell no man, keep it to mm. yourself. I, I believe that couldn't be further from the truth because all it takes is one conversation or one person to hear one thing. I mean, there was a guy on TikTok who had like a hundred followers and Oprah, someone who worked for Oprah happened to see his one TikTok that had a hundred views or something like that. And next thing you know, he's working for Oprah. Like my point is, is that people become like your little manifest manifestation minions as you start putting your goals and your, and your dreams out there. So I'm glad that you're talking about it. Well, and thanks, man. And I'm glad that you touch on this because this is something that I've actually thought about before. You know, I've, I've had this conversation with someone else that was on the podcast. We weren't on the podcast recording. It was off the podcast. We were talking about it, but I was telling her basically the same shit that I just laid out there. And then the very next day I saw on Instagram, someone saying how you shouldn't talk about these things because it releases like a dopamine hit in your brain as if you've achieved them. 
thus making you less likely to actually pursue it. And it had me sitting there for a second, like, I don't know, like, do I, does that sound right? Like, does that, and I was kind of in this quasi state. So, I mean, can you expand even a little bit more on that idea of, you know, putting your ideas out there, you know, telling people, because I even kind of feel like people want to help. Like, I'm like, I'm sure if you knew someone who knew Joe, like you'd be like, Oh dude, this guy would be a great guest. Like check him out. You know? So like everybody wants to help everybody. And so, you know, it, it, that seems more in alignment with me, but yeah, if you could expand on it, that'd be great. Yeah. So the first thing I want to touch on is a lot of people, I think there's a misconception around like putting it out there as far as like people talk about the dopamine release and things like that. I think there's a nuance there where if you're someone who like um, subjectively gets off on the fact that says like, Oh yeah, if I really, you know, put effort into growing this business, I can make $10 million because I I've suffered from that was one of my programs that I used to run subconsciously. It was, I was the student who never had to work at school. I, but I, I didn't get A's. I got like C's and B's and I just kind of coasted by and everybody would always say, well, it well, imagine if Anthony applied himself. Right. And so, I was constantly like reinforcing this, but yeah, imagine if I applied myself, I would get A's, but everybody else knows that. So why do I actually have mm. to get the A's and B's and things? Why do I have to actually apply myself? And I saw that play, playing out in my, my businesses that I was, that I was starting and growing. And I was like reaching this point where like, you know, what, I'm kind of successful. And from the outside, everybody's like, wow, Anthony's doing pretty good. He could, I imagine he could scale that and grow it to millions and millions of dollars. But, you know, and so I was just kind of living out that same program until I actually consciously approached it. Now I have a healthy relationship and, and I've developed new beliefs and new programs where I can say to myself, well, you know, right now, one of the things I always talk about that I'm trying to manifest, put making it public is I really want to work with Rob Deerdeck, right? I think he's amazing. I saw that I one of your videos. Yeah. I know, I know yeah. of him. I've seen uh, his show on MTV and everything. Yeah. Seems like a cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I'm, I'm putting out there, but it's not, it's not coming from a place of like, oh, I know I could eventually work with Rob. And therefore my mind is like, well, I don't actually have to achieve that. So I don't, that was, I don't think I answered your question. Well, what was the, what was the question in relation to just making it public, kind of speaking about it and like, why, why should we, what's, what's the corollary people are putting it out there that we shouldn't. And so you're saying we should. So it's kind of just that. I also, I also think it's a good litmus test to gauge your fear and resistance because if you have any hesitation or resistance to telling other people about your manifestations, your goals, your dreams, that means you have some sort of fear that is going to block you from manifesting it or achieving that anyways, whether mm. it's a fear of judgment or a fear of, you know, making a mistake or whatever, just, you know, and so those, once again, everything that you accomplish or achieve or manifest good or bad in this life is dictated by the actions you take or don't take to some extent, even if it doesn't feel, you know, it's just, we do have to move about this 3d world to some, to some extent. And those actions or inaction is dictated by your beliefs and your fears. And so you have to change your programming in order to change your outcomes. Um, that doesn't mean this, this is, where I believe you start seeing synchronicities. This is where I believe if, if you believe in luck and coincidence and chance and opportunity and, and things that just co seemingly come supernaturally, I think it happens when you start moving about in this 3D world. Even if you're not certain about the actions you need to take. For example, you may want, I don't know how many followers your end goal is. Let's say it's 20 million followers. You can't get to 20 million followers, but not putting out a podcast, right? Like 
sure you could you could get to 20 million followers by putting out one episode that happens to like go crazy viral more than anything else but like the point is is that we are still in this physical world bound by time and space to some extent and we need to take action over that you for example in the form of being consistent with taking out or, or putting out episodes right and so the reason people don't take the action at a very baseline like people who procrastinate it always comes down to fear right and then so we have to investigate the fear. What are you afraid of? What are you protecting yourself from? Really? That's a, that's a question I ask a lot of people. What, what is this program doing for you? Cause a lot of people think they have a negative habit or like the procrastination is bad or whatever, but it's actually your brain, your subconscious mind is trying to protect you from something. And so we have to investigate what that is. Yeah. A big one for me. That's like, keeps like blaring as you're saying this is a fear of putting myself out there because if what what happens if i try my hardest i do my absolute best i go all out to make something occur and it doesn't happen the judgment of other people the the criticism that i could endure the the self loathing the, the, the like diminishing of my own ego or, or my not even my ego but my sense of self worth if i put myself 100% out there and nobody likes it. Nobody listens. Nobody shares. Nobody listens. Like it's just like that would be so demoralizing. And and that that was a big big thing for me was just like okay, let's just do it. Let's just fucking do it. And I even know, mm-hmm. and maybe even from a masculine place, you could probably see this as well, which is like the act of being vulnerable. You know, I, the act of actually being honest about our emotions and how we're feeling society has told us for so long to suppress it, that, that men who talk about their emotions and feel into their emotions are weak and seen as, as weak individuals. But dude, in the last two years of actually exploring my emotions, being honest, being vulnerable through the podcast, I have seen the biggest, the biggest expansion of myself, the most growth, the most resonance with other people around me, it has been absolutely insane. And so, I mean, talk about societal programs that are not serving at the highest purpose. You know, it's, it's a crazy web of fears that we got to untangle to explore that higher purpose that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And going back to the idea that we learn these fears at some point, chances are, and this is not to apply bias or anything, but just from my experience is that the fear has developed from past events, right? And we, even if we believe in a past, it happened in a past life, that may be, that may be where it's, but let's just say it happened in this life. And so we can very literally go back and we can follow that fear back to the moment that you learned it. It's what, and you may have heard this from other hypnotists you've had on the, on the podcast here, um, what we call an initial sensitizing event. And so usually there will be a heightened emotional event. This could be good or bad. It doesn't have to be like a big T trauma or small T trauma. It could be anything. And when this happens as a childhood, our brain is forming a belief or a fear to help us once again, move away from pain and towards pleasure. So that program is going to run so that when we experience fear, fear, the emotion of fear, any emotion, what's in the word emotion, motion, right? So our emotions put us in motion away from pain and towards pleasure. The problem is that pain is perceived. So for example, if you have a fear of judgment, let's say, because you're putting yourself out there. I worked with a client um, a couple of years ago who had a fear of judgment in public speaking. He didn't want other people to make fun of him and things like that. And he didn't know why, because he had been confident in every other area of his life with girls, with business, things like that. 
And we followed the fear back. I said, well, where did, where did you learn this? And we went back to a time when he was like seven or eight years old, he was in school and a teacher asked him a question. And he, when I asked, asked the class a question, he was so confident that he knew the answer. He raised his hand to answer the question. He was feeling so confident. He stands up to answer the question. He gets the question wrong. The teacher says he's wrong. And then little shithead Joey next to him. And he's telling me all this is laughing at him. Mm. That little kid next to him is laughing at him. He feels embarrassed. The rest of the class starts laughing at him and making fun of him and starts making fun for the rest of the day. And so that his eight or nine year old self put himself out there. Right. Mm. And by putting himself out there, experienced pain. So his brain, his subconscious mind associated public speaking, putting himself out there with pain. And that, that program ran. And I often tell people like we are children like, or we're adults or no, we're children in a, in a, an adult body. Like we're running on our old programming 99% of the time. And until you do the deep inner work and like intentionally change it, you are going to, you are going to constantly be trying to muster up willpower, right? Everybody sets a new year's resolution. Like I'm going to start doing things different. I'm going to wake up earlier, but no, you have programming that is so much more powerful than any sort of willpower that you think you have. And Time and time again, people try to do things. They try to do more or do less and 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 elicit some sort of internal motivation, i.e. willpower. And it rarely ever works. And that's because we are just like reptilian, like subconscious automatic creatures, right? Like Yeah. No, that's uh and that's it. Speaking of the societal societal games and information that we keep getting pushed into us, is that idea of like working hard. Like if you want to achieve great things, you got to work hard. You got to go all out. You got to spend all your energy every waking moment of the day to do it. And to me, there's this element of like, really? Like, is that? And I think it's probably one of my, one of my little limiting beliefs that kind of probably still has me stuck in achieving all these things I want. Now that I'm thinking about it out loud, I'm going to have to journal about that. But <laughs> I'm curious where you kind of sit on that, on that threshold of, you know, cause I think I saw one of your TikToks, like you're, you're doing well financially. You got like a lot of several businesses going on. So like, how much do you believe in that you got to work super hard to get things done or like, where's the balance? Like, how do you, how do you kind of visualize or see that you've quote unquote done enough work to produce the outcome that you're going to produce? So to sum it up very quickly for you, I, my belief is, and my goal is I want people to wonder how the heck did Anthony do it? Like, I want, I want them to be like, how, how does he have so much and how does he operate with such like an energy and level that, and like, he doesn't seemingly do anything for it. And, uh, I think that is really my philosophy is like, I do not believe, I believe in hard work, but I also believe that hard work is a perception, right? I think. All right. We almost made the full podcast without <laughs> needing it. Anthony, sorry. You were saying about hard work and uh, your situation with hard work. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was such a, that was, that was a good pattern interrupt there. Um, <laughs> by the way, like from a very practical standpoint, if you ever want to disarm somebody, you, you, you do a pattern interrupt like that. Um, <laughs> cut them off from a podcast, <laughs> cut them off from a podcast or whatever. Just make some, something abrupt or, or, or loud noise or something. And it will totally disrupt their, uh, the program that they're currently running anyways. So hard work, I believe in hard work, but I believe the hard work is a perception, meaning that, I, from the outside, I probably work very hard, right? Someone looks at me, they look, but what I, I don't feel like I'm doing any sort of hard work. And 
I think what has happened recently with TikTok, like especially with TikTok, I've blown up on TikTok and I've that's been an intentional manifestation, by the way. Like this is I didn't just happen. Like I had a very real process behind getting there. And I'm making more money from TikTok than any other area of my life right now, as far as like the direct revenue from that. And I'm not working any harder than I've worked prior. Right. So something has changed besides the effort that I'm putting in. So what what might be like a a mantra or a what what would you how would you go about reprogramming your brain if you're in this belief system of I have to do hard work? How would how did have you how did you go about it? How did you kind of recreate this place for yourself? Well, so the only reason hard work feels hard is because of fear, right? Once again, that goes back to the idea that you're not doing what you tell yourself to do because you're afraid at some level. So I had to assess my fears when I wanted to start growing on TikTok. Like I had, I had like my personal TikTok account, I had like 8,000 followers that I used for like other businesses and stuff. Like I, I never really went on TikTok. And then I decided to intentionally manifest a hundred thousand followers. And I did that in less than 30 days, but that didn't happen until I assess my fears that were blocking me from being consistent on TikTok and filming more content. And one of those fears was fear. I had my own fear of judgment, right? What would my family think if I started talking about manifestation and things like that? What would, you know, it just, there was this whole perception that I was projecting out there that was like, oh, these people are going to, you know, make fun of me or I'm going to feel embarrassed. And so I had to, I had to change those programs. And once I changed, once I got rid of the fear going online didn't feel like hard work creating the content doesn't feel like hard work because now it just aligns with the Mm. programs that i need dude that's so wild because you're literally the last chick we had on who's just worked with money It, it feels like you're echoing the same exact thing which is that you're and even kind of what i talked about here where you're working with that energy you're saying okay the energy of having a hundred thousand followers on tiktok what does that energy feel like and and you've came up with these limiting beliefs, these fears, these incongruencies in which you may or may not want to have dealt with. And so then you work those out and just kind of reprogrammed yourself and your belief system around those limiting beliefs and fears. And then it just happened because now it's no longer the only reason it makes hard work hard is the blocks that you're trying to push through or overcome or conquer. And yet you just energetically kind of remove them from yourself for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and another one that I had to work on was like my fear that I can't articulate myself. And I noticed that sometimes the program still runs. I, it used to get to the point I couldn't even film a TikTok. I couldn't go live without stumbling over my words. Like you should see some of the stuff I have in like my, my archives. Um, and now I'm not saying I'm the most articulate person now, but it's light years from where I was because I used to have this, this belief that I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And what that would do, it would stifle my language. It would stifle my ability to articulate myself because I believe that what I was saying wasn't valuable and wasn't like, wasn't right. Right. And so I had to work. That was another fear I had to work on before I could get out and put consistent content out. That's wild. I mean, cause you're doing an excellent job. And I mean, I've even seen your TikToks. They sound great. So, I mean, that could even be, you could probably make some solid content from that by just like showing, this is whenever I believed that, you know, I couldn't talk to people and (laughs) here I am now, you know, like you can find a way to work that into some solid content as well. Well, dude, it's like, even, you know, some people have stutters, they Hmm. are actually stifling their ability to talk. It's a subconscious program that's running 
because it's some, right. you know, maybe at some point as a little kid, someone told them to shut up, you know, they're stupid and they, you know, and they're, they're, they're physiologically making themselves shut up or, or stumble over their words. So, I mean, it, it can manifest, these programs manifest in so many different ways. It, we can't even consciously begin to connect the dots. And can I, can I tell a quick story about that real quick? Please do. I know, I know we're, I know we've been going for a long time, but I mean, I think I'm good on time. Do you need to get out of here at a certain point? No, I'm good. At some I'm time. Good. Okay. Okay. We'll yeah. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so time's an illusion. The, so you're good forever. <laughs> yeah. We're good for, we're just <laughs> perpetually yeah. into the future. Yeah. So, <laughs> so one of the stories I always tell that elicits like this whole idea of programming and like perceptions and like pain and, and pleasure being a perception and how our body is constant and our mind is constantly trying to move us away from that pain is I had a client that came to me who did not believe in hypnosis, but she had seen that other people were getting results with me and she wanted to use it to help grow her business because she had like her own fear of judgment and things like that. But she didn't believe in the process. She liked me, didn't believe in hypnosis working. So I said, okay, bet let's do this. I'm going to do a free session for you and I'm going to help you eliminate a fear in less than 20 minutes. Give me any fear that you have and I will help you resolve it. And you'll be convinced that hypnosis works. And she goes, okay, sure. And she goes, I'm afraid of ladybugs. And I laughed. I was like, you're afraid of ladybugs. <laughs> I thought she was messing with me because she didn't believe in it. Right. And mm. so sure enough, she's like, no, Anthony, I have a like deathly fear of ladybugs. Even when I walk into a room, there's uh, a smell of ladybugs. And I didn't know that, but apparently if there's a bunch wow. of ladybugs, there's a smell, even the smell would trigger her panic and her fear. And so I said, okay, well, you must've learned this from somewhere. And I'm, I'm thinking this, right. I'm not, I'm trying not to pre-frame it. And we go into the session, we go back to a time when she was three years old. She's telling me, and we communicate during the state of hypnosis, like people, even though they're in the hypnotic state, they're also talking to me, with their eyes closed. She goes, Anthony, I'm in a tree house. And I go, you're in a tree house. And she goes, yeah, I'm with a friend. And uh, she's like, oh, my foot hurts. And I'm thinking like, your foot hurts? What is, like, I'm thinking, what does that have to do with anything? And I go, well, what do you notice next? And she goes, oh, I stepped on a nail and I'm, my foot's bleeding. And then she started kind of just, she's kind of recalling the physiological trauma that she's experienced. She's telling me that she's scared because her mom's not there. And I go, okay, well, what do you notice next? And she opens her eyes and she goes, there was ladybugs everywhere. And like, I was kind of jolted back because it's very, it's very infrequent that a client would just open wow. their eyes. And she goes, but her conscious mind and her subconscious mind create, like found the evidence to say that ladybugs are fine. But what happened is when she stepped on the nail as a little girl, her brain took a snapshot of the event and said, what's causing this pain? And so not only did it sense the ladybugs, it sensed the smell of the ladybugs and perceived that as painful. And so all we needed to do was get her conscious awareness to the point to wow. make her understand that, you know what, it was never the ladybugs in the first place. And so I always ask everybody, what's your ladybug, right? No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so wild. Cause you know, when you go into that state, I'm sure it just sends all your senses on overdrive. And so her senses were just like acute to, wow, all those things. And so if you just smell a ladybug, your foot, you're about to get a nail through your foot. Dude, it's crazy. The perception that we have with these things. Well, dude, if you, and if you extrapolate it out, the fact that her mother wasn't there, thankfully she didn't develop a program about abandonment, but I've seen this happen where because her mother wasn't there and she was scared that her mother had left her while she was in this moment of pain and trauma, I've seen that produce a program of having a fear of abandonment 
just from those moments. Wow. And I had nothing just because she, that little girl stepped on a nail. And I mean, the mom still love her. She's probably just in the house or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It was just in that moment because the brain is like wanting to survive and move away from pain. It's searching for safety, pleasure. The mom isn't there. Right. Sheesh. Mm-hmm. So it almost is just grabbing at whatever thoughts are just available. Exactly. Jeez, dude. <sighs> Some heavy shit. Well, that's, we're not consciously aware. And that's the thing. People try to approach these things consciously. And that's why I say, that's why you got it. That's why you're seeing a hypnotist because you don't have a conscious issue. You have a subconscious issue and we need to get to that state in that process because that client would have never said to me, Anthony, I'm afraid of ladybugs. I think because I stepped on a nail when I was three years old, like how could we ever come to that conclusion without doing some sort of subconscious work? Right. Or at least getting in tune with that frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even to go on and go back to the beginning of our podcast, cause I think that's probably why I say that I think people can get there without the therapeutic help. But I say that after I had gone through, you know, the therapeutic help with like the, mm-hmm. the psilocybin mm-hmm. therapy and everything. Yeah. I, I think once you have done it enough times in like a therapeutic setting, you become aware of like what that frequency feels like that subconscious energy feels like. And that's then when you can kind of take it on your own and kind of do your own thing with it. Yeah. I mean, and I, all the stuff that I talk about, whether it's the processes I use with my one-on-one clients, even stuff that like I, like my digital products, like I give away everything for free. That's what I try to get people to understand. I teach everything that I'm talking about for free in some way, whether it's live on TikTok, whether it's a, it's a video on TikTok, wherever. The thing is, some people need it curated and in a package. And then that's why I, I just sell the curated part of my information to the people. Cause I know that if I give enough value to people and I give it all away for free, there's going to be a subset of people that want it done faster and in a nicely wrapped package. And those are the people that are going to then buy it. And so my point in to, or to your point rather, is that you can definitely do it by yourself because I had to learn these techniques to apply to other people, which means you, anybody can learn the techniques to apply to themselves. And so part of my mission right now with TikTok is like teaching people what I'm talking about. Like I teach people how to do memory reconsolidation without a hypnotist. I teach them how to get into hypnosis and how to do these things that we're talking about. That's pretty powerful stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, and it feels like a good spot to kind of put a bow on this whole conversation. I, I appreciate you being here, man. And I usually give the floor. It sounds like you kind of just did what I was going to ask you to do, but <laughs> I usually, I'll still give you the floor to speak to the audience and kind of encourage them or, you know, plug your stuff. I, the links that you sent me, they're going to be in the show notes below. So please reference those at will and Anthony, the floor is yours. Now, I, I appreciate you having me on and that's not just like some superficial cliche thing that I want to say. I just, I know from like um, my side, as far as like creating content that it takes a lot of inner work to get to the point where you can do that. And I can only imagine what you've had to do and, and the processes that you've undergone to get to where you are, because you know, like your level of consistency with your podcast, in my opinion, blows me away with anything it would take like the, what I'm seeing about you. So I, I genuinely do appreciate what you're, what you're doing here. And the only thing I will say is that um, if, People want to learn more. I give it all away for free on TikTok. Like that's it. If you want to follow me on TikTok, it's just at Anthony Serino. If you want to check the website, it's theanthonyserino.com. And I'm super accessible. Anytime a DM gets sent, anytime an email gets sent to me, I'm the guy, even though I have people helping me out, I'm the person that responds to each and every one of them. So Clayton, I appreciate you so much for having me on.
Thanks, man. And I appreciate that reflection. You know, you, I kind of get lost in it sometimes, you know, you think of it just one day, one week at a time. And then, you know, you look back on it and you're like, oh shit, number 63, 64. It's like, it's like, damn, it's like a wild journey. And, and it's funny too, because I put the zeros at the beginning. Cause I like know that it was going to get to a hundred. I was like, I, you know, that's going to be my inspiration is like, make sure people know that we're getting to at least a hundred. So, and that's just the beginning, man. So I don't think people realize. I don't, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't think people realize what goes into podcasting, by the way, like it's a lot like for listeners out there who have never like attempted to start a podcast or done one, like Clayton, what you're doing is like, <laughs> it, it, it's a, once it's a full-time thing on it, as you know, right. And like oh, the yeah. editing, the recording, the outsourcing, like the content, the social media. So like kudos to you, man. It's, it's awesome to see what you're doing finding people putting in the content. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah. I, it's always nice whenever someone else, you know, understands the work that gets involved with it. Cause I'm sure it gets lost on a lot of people, right? They think it's just the three hours and then you upload, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know the entire world that I was getting into. And then you need to stay up to date. You need to research the people and make the conversation interesting, but dude, you're a sick guest, man. Like I, I appreciate it. I appreciate all the back and forth you know i appreciate getting asked questions because yeah it doesn't always happen but it was cool it was a fun one that's awesome we'll have to do it again sometime absolutely man absolutely and another another 60 or something like that you know yeah in another Uh, life yeah (laughs) i mean i'm already a new person so (laughs) yeah but anthony thank you so so much guys thank you thank anthony go check him out it's super dope you can just check out his tiktok he talks about you know, just, I, you can just watch like one of these videos. Like I'm, I'm just going through it right now. Manifest $10,000. I think I did that one hypnosis for weight loss and all your techniques are like very different and unique too. So guys, highly, highly recommend going out, checking out his stuff. Also, if you learn something from this, please share it. Like that is the best zero cost way to help me out, to help out the program and to help spread the consciousness, right? Get more conscious monkeys involved in this. So with that being said, I love you all. Thank you so much for being here. And I will see you all in the sixth dimension.